and welcome to the 13th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. And this is Patrick Gremion, and I remember the days of flower power. <laughs> Ooh, a little tease for later on. Welcome <laughs> to The Academy Academy. Oh, wow. This is... um. <laughs> This is going to be quite a matchup today, I think. Uh, we're talking two different ends of the speak of the street spectrum. Oh yeah, I would say the both two. in the musical bracket, but quite different musicals. I would say the only thing that connects them: bad singing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what kind of bad singing? Keep listening. You'll find yeah. out. Tune in. Uh, I was thinking last we 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 just released our longest episode. Where uh, the death become last week's death becomes her Devil Wears Prada showdown with Christina Wu, and one thing that came up in that episode were um, Hollywood video favorites, kind of mm. the classics of uh, video store rental days. And you know, we'll bring this up. We'll let our guest in before we even introduce him. He'll just be mysterious for this portion mm. of the conversation. But um, kind of like the thought of like a lot of these are older films. A lot of these were available in the Halcyon Age of VHS at the video stores we visited, but not many of us actually like said to ourselves as kids when we first got that video store membership, let's rent the French Lieutenant's woman. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is it because like we were boys, like little boys and we were just kind of trained in this Schwarzenegger, Stallone, horror movie centric world of like that level of kind of, um, I don't know, naughty. I oh, have yeah. some theory on this. And I think it is that there wasn't an infrastructure really in place yet to to for like art art house inclined boys like us to like there was no Pied Piper yet. I think that that <laughs> we were still operating in that like post clerks world where like the subversive things to do would be the like kind of big goofy things. Cause that was kind of in the nineties, what we thought of as like, it was like, it was like action movies from the eighties and the seventh seal and smoking the bandit were like America's <laughs> canon films in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah there, and I, I think uh, you bring up an interesting point about clerks and I would turn it to like in the nineties with the arrival of Quentin Tarantino and his um, like, voracious evangelical praise of movies like rolling thunder or foxy brown and you and couldn't get any of that shit yeah like any anything quentin tarantino brought up i just kept thinking like well maybe in college someone will magically have all these exploitation movies i've wanted to watch my whole life yeah because yeah. like, it's interesting like I, when i was a kid i wasn't like a super big like you know don't, don't get me wrong i would occasionally get like the schwarzenegger like i love me total recall i love me some running man uh, but I wasn't like a huge. I was more of like the comedies. I think that was like. But, it was, like, but I think it's the same side. But it's the same, same side thing, of the point yeah. where it's like you know I'm getting like booty call and like hell yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm trying that's to such a like, very like that's I love when people will bring up what they actually rented because now I feel like we've rewritten history to go like we just rented Back to the Future and that's all. I'm like no, we rented Booty Call. Yeah, we rented House Party Two. Oh yeah, like, House Party Three. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it's, yeah, but like le- lesser Chevy Chase movies. Yeah, were, were the Money Pit got yeah. watched. Yeah, Fletch, Fletch well, Fletch, 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 Fletch lives. Yeah, Fletcher. Yeah, I was about to launch into a very hearty Fletch defense right there. <laughs> Fletch is probably good. I don't remember. 
remember. Also, like, ah, <laughs> oh, God, see, I would also, like, rent, like, stand-up specials. Like, we would do, like, God, and it was, like, my friend, I'd always be with my friends, and we'd, and, they, and I, usually they would, and it was, like, the worst, I look back on it, and it was, like, the worst, like, blue-collar comedy tour, John Panette, yeah. and I think, like, an early John Panette's Jeff- I'm Starving, such yeah. a, like, specific special. Oh, man, I remember even watching that when I was, like, 13 or 12 and being, like, uh, this, this, there's more jokes than... It doesn't just have to be about like I'm a, I'm a fat guy, <laughs> <laughs> like that is kind of like his like uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. real one. Oh yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, like like I as a as a stand-up comedian, one of those terrifying moments you see periodically is like somebody figure out their shitty niche that played one night. Ooh. And then you see them again five years later, and they have far surpassed you. But it is a sad, dark game you're watching them do. <laughs> Where it's just like, I'm making money, but I walk on stage and go, look what a huge piece of shit I am. Yeah. <laughs> I love tripping and falling on my balls. Like, <laughs> and you're like, you know, you're living in like, your good giant. again. Yeah. You live in your giant mansion and you have a giant statue, a golden statue of testicles in front of your, you know, pool. But is it worth it? I realized, do you know what my, I think my number one repeat rental was for many years is Empire Records. Mm. Interesting. That was that was a re- like like I feel like Empire Records and there's and like yeah Predator Two, and I'm trying like it, it was all trash like that. The problem is a lot of these things I would just buy because like I feel like movies like Twister that one would just rent. I was just like I watch this enough that I need to own this at all times. I was very very obsessed with like the window from like the nine month window when it first came out, when, you know, you'd ask them like, how much would it cost to buy this on video? And they'd tell you $109 oh, yeah. and 99 cents. And it was like, I had a calendar like, oh guys, guess what? This is the time. Days to Confused is finally coming out for uh, the retail price. Yeah. And I was absolutely obsessed with the previously viewed sections at oh, every yeah. video store I ever went to, to try and score like, I remember scoring The Big Lebowski on video, and that was not a big hit in its initial release. And I just felt like this is a gold mine, baby. Oh hell yeah! I uh, I yeah, and it's um, what's funny too is uh, when you brought up Empire Records, we were literally talking in the previous, uh, I, or I was talking about in the previous episode, how like uh, for me, like my Empire Records was like the perfect score. Where like mm. that's a movie that I that's like totally not memorable, probably really bad, but I've seen that movie like five hundred times, and I know the call, and I literally I rung I ha- I know the cast like the, the, the let's the, let's hear it let's hear that countdown okay. one oh, more yeah. time okay one more time we're doing it Chris Evans Brian Greenberg Leonardo Nam Darius motherfucking Miles Scarlett Whoa. Johansson Erica Christensen and a, a a nice little cameo from a one Matthew Lillard. King Kyle is so down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wanna I wanna reboot. I wanna see where they're at. They need to do a they need to do a sequel. I wanna the perfecter score. Give it to you. The perfect score lives. Give it to me. Perfect score or, or, or. I feel like you just call it scored. 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 Yeah. Oh, that and would be. And it's a soft the, reboot. Yeah, very like modern version. Yeah. Oh my god, a soft. Like I love the idea of them being like the wise elders ushering in the new oh, generation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if, you, if that doesn't mm-hmm. sound to you like a reclamation project for somebody like McLovin, I don't know what is. 
we need and then like it could be and it could be like a, a perfect score universe where like there's all over the world there are kids trying to get the SAT scores the perfiverse <laughs> the PCU, the perfect no, the PSC, the perfect score cinematic universe. There we go. You can even throw in like, oh, they got rocket launchers. Yeah, I think they got rocket yeah. launchers. So you're like, where did this come from? <laughs> the, a talking crocodile that break dances? What? Yeah, I think it's a, a talking time. crocodile that break dances. Get in here, Krongo. And we then need- eventually they do a, a versus movie against the uh, the uh, the road trip Euro trip people. Oh yeah, <laughs> just like <laughs> like a, the, whoever like a, a, a like an off-brand Timothy Chalamet choking yeah. Scott Necklowitz or whoever the star. <laughs> yeah, it'll be um, <laughs> Sean William Scott will be like the wise scholar who's now we, lives in a Buddhist temple. We all agree Sean William Scott is like in some PTA movie where he wins an Oscar, right? Like that happens before we all die. I, I think that he is right for it. I, I, I we're gonna we should probably soon, move on and get like, into the show. Oh yes, <laughs> but I, I don't know if you saw the news about Brendan Fraser being cast as a six hundred pound man in the new Darren Aronofsky movie. Well, have you guys seen Doom Patrol? And his like comeback thing. He's phenomenal in it. It oh, is. He's, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be nominated. For he's, this movie. he's back. Oh, yeah. he's, he's and back. he's better than ever. Oh, like give I me the, <laughs> give me the Fraser sons. Oh yeah, no Doom Patrol. Sla- I watched Doom Patrol over uh, Christmas break. Yeah, it, it's it, fantastic. I went in very ready to like, cause I I am a big Doom Patrol fan, and like walked into it kind of dubious, I'm like who the fuck are these people? And then by the end of the first episode, I was like, oh, I'm on board aggressively. I did not realize <laughs> Timothy Dalton is working. Oh yeah, and it's like all they right. got and they got they got your Danny the Street. Oh, they got your Dorothy Spit, like all those little this, weird. This may be the only podcast I can bring this up on because they're so like like this is this has been the beautiful thing about becoming friends with with Jen and Don is that like I have a lot of friends in a lot of different worlds of stuff but like ridiculous movie fans is always a hard thing to find. The Doom Patrol credits do not get enough credit for how fucking wild they are. There are three modified credits at the end of that show. There is a as a with and an end. <laughs> or, and a special appearance. And people don't know what those are, which are, for anybody listening who doesn't know, that's when your agent is, you're taking a pay cut, so you're going to get a better credit. And three separate actors have that on the show. And it's a thing I'm truly fascinated by because the level of like weird legal wheel and dealing in the background to make those Doom Patrol credits work is like bananas. <laughs> they, um, yeah, they all they need is an and introducing. To yeah, really, that's the um, one they're missing. Complete it all. Oh, um, but I think, yeah, I think basically, like, since the blockbuster days are over, the streaming days are available, and kids are getting more and more information. If you're gonna, if you feel like it, if you, you, you know, you're spending your night with your buddies, you've watched Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, <laughs> you've taken a look at Empire Records because why not? That's still part of that canon of oh, this type thing, you know. You've, you've, uh, you've discovered the Phantasm series. Um, <laughs> there's one you're missing too that's like adjacent and I it's forever in my head because uh, I used to work at, at Meltdown in the theater there and they would do these pop culture art shows and they did an anime art show and the piece that like I almost tried to make an offer on to buy was a acrylic on canvas painting of a blockbuster video clamshell sitting on a couch and it was for Ninja Scroll yes ninja scroll the one anime movie they would have at they would have akira and ninja scroll sitting there <laughs> and and so that like that to me is like such a specific time period and person who puts that together you just look at it and go like that is that is super real what you put there down 
Yeah, yeah you throw those in. You throw in the story of Ricky O, maybe. Yeah. You know, you, know, you get crazy with it. But you know what? Scroll a little bit further over. Rent yourself Silkwood. Open yeah. your mind just a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get at. We're, we're, I think we're speaking directly to 13-year-old it, boys. It's weird. Here. I started yeah. renting Silkwood and somehow it turned into Angel Heart. Yeah. yeah. What What? what what a what a weird what a weird surprise. Oh. What a weird lightly lateral move. I thought I was renting the French lieutenant's woman, but I ended up with Cobra. I don't get it. <laughs> this is the French lieutenant woman's box, but then <laughs> and turns out the up. French lieutenant's woman happens to be Tango and Cash. Yeah. Marked yeah. for death. What? <laughs> I don't remember the the third lead in this movie being Robert Zadar. Yeah. I, don't remember, I remember Robert Zadar being in uh, in a Lemony Sicket series of unfortunate events. Yeah. He should have been though. Yeah. Oh, totally. like, the man, the I man. really I never thought that Meryl Streep worked with Michael Ironside so much. Uh, can you imagine them as a married couple in something though? Like that's that's the new Noah Bombach couple. Yeah, sell it to me. That's I'm somebody's in. parents in it. Yeah. Okay. On that note, maybe we should introduce our Let's guest. Let's do that. <laughs> Before we fly further down the rabbit hole, because Michael Ironside leads to David Cronenberg, which we all know we like to talk about him too much on our Meryl Street podcast. <laughs> our guest today is an impresario. He's a mogul. He's a titan of the comedy industry. Some would say a hero. Some would say he is uh, host the podcast. This is rad, and everything is scary. He is a touring stand-up comedian. He is Kyle Clark. Kyle, hey, welcome to the Academy. Oh, I love when I can list as many credits that I cannot physically do now as possible. <laughs> Except for podcasts, we can all. Podcast. Oh, oh, we can all podcast. <laughs> oh, welcome, welcome to the show, Kyle. We've already I'm we're off to, to be a here. rousing is, start. I, I, from the moment this was a concept I'd heard about, I was like, oh, me want. <laughs> I, I hope we have a fan out there who is one of those fans who's doing like a letterboxed uh playlist of every movie that we mention over because this one i think will probably break the record for Do... amount of references i but... haven't dived into letterbox yet because i'm lightly afraid but i've been really starting to play with the idea of like alternative social medias and it's one of my three it's like or it's like it's like that and pinterest are the two things i'm like i don't have to talk to anybody and i mostly just get to look at shit this sounds great <laughs> i um I, I, I'm a Letterbox fan. You can find me on there. I like it. I uh, have been liberated, though, because I used to give star reviews to every one of the movies that I watched. And then I just got a little queasy. It's like, yeah, I gave, you know, for instance, I gave on an initial viewing Mamma Mia one star. And I was looking at that and I just deleted that today. And I said, you know what? I'm sticking with the, I've watched this movie as my rating and yes. I don't give an opinion because i dislike listing them i but i think it yeah it's very fun it, most mo most hardcore movie fans who would be interested in letterboxd are also interested in making lists agreed and, and uh letterboxd gives you home for both and there apparently is a pretty burgeoning community of movie fans who actually right. talk to I each other to and in there. star reviewers and celebrity reviewers are on there and I, um i have started a new quarantine project because it's just any new idea that fights off the depression is a good plan 
Mm-hmm. And I have started doing back in the meltdown days, uh, the last Thursday of every month, uh, a couple of the guys who worked there would do a movie night where they would be after the theater closed at midnight or like 1130, they would show either an art house classic or cult movie that the two guys ran it had never seen before. So you just show up in whatever level of sobriety or you required. <laughs> And we watched like Possession and The Long Goodbye and A Town mm. Called Panic and like just Ooh. all these like amazing things that I love that like it's so hard to get your ass in gear to watch sometimes. Like it's, it's you know, for those ones where it's like the, I call them pay attention movies. <laughs> and I have decided in quarantine to start doing my own one man midnight movies where I have mm. headphones I attach to my setup and I have so many impulse by Criterion and Shout Factory <laughs> Blu-rays that have just sat wrapped or, or unwrapped and unwatched for so long that I'm doing doing once a week now. And I started last week with The Holy Mountain, a DVD oh, the... I've for, or Blu-ray yes. I've owned for two years and never seen. And I have now seen and uh, I threw myself really into the deep end immediately. Zero regrets. That movie rips so hard. Uh, Paris, Texas is this week's. Nice. Uh, Excellent film. Work. work I, I've been been curating it out, and like, God damn it, it is it is such a it is as fun as it is sad. No, I think this would be an excellent list. Dude, each uh, each one you add, I would yeah. follow and I would follow along. I'm trying to think because I have January put out. Let me see what the other two are for this month. Oh, uh, and then it'll be missing, uh, which I actually mm. received uh, in the mail through Scarecrow Video. Shout out, and then Wild excellent. at Heart. So that's oh, the first month. Nice. Excellent. I feel, I, I feel you. I have a couple movies like that where, like you know, whenever Criterion has a sale, you're always gonna like splurge. And uh, yeah. like, oh God, like I have a copy of like the Thin Red Line that's just still in the wrapping. Like if it was like. You know, if my DVDs came to life like Toy Story, like they, that my copy of Thin Red Line would be doing the sad Jesse song. It's like, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he watch? Well, me? It, it would actually be doing it as it was wandering around through the woods, and it would be done in voiceover. I remember as a kid, yeah. if you're making, familiar with Thin Red Line, <laughs> being hyped for Thin Red Line because I thought it was going to be an exciting war movie, and then it's a Terrence Malick movie. And I remember saying as a kid, like, if this movie has a close-up of a butterfly, I'm going to be furious. And then it does, in fact, have a close-up of a goddamn butterfly. <laughs> All right. Full disclosure, it is one of my top ten favorite movies oh, sure. ever made. Uh, my criteria for what an excellent movie is has shifted since six. Yeah, grade. it no longer has to contain the alien from it, Alien to get full credit. It's weird though that Terrence Malick. I I do have to like. I feel like for as like praised as he is, I do always have to like feel like I'm on guard in my mm-hmm. passionate defenses of him because so many people, you know, frankly think he's full. I do. I do not at all, obviously, but think he's full of shit. And, I, um, I love, even if I don't love every movie somebody like that makes, the fact that it makes people so upset, like, I'll just like, look, I'm just on your side. Like, this is a real, like, enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, like, let's party, you weird son of a bitch. I sure love the fact that you shoot everything at sunset. Yeah. I mean, he's the only filmmaker that has two movies in my top ten of all time. What are they? Uh, And Days of Heaven. Oh, okay. Nice. nice. Days of Heaven has often been my, I will put it on in on my second screen at work to just have something pleasant to look at when I need to mm-hmm. look up from what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, just, oh, they're burning I, I, them I, fields. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, it's heartbreaking. I think, yeah, I, I feel so much for Sam Shepard, the farmer, in that I think it's a one of the best performances in a Malick movie, which are um, just by design tough because he doesn't really allow for like big 
actory moments. He feels in like most of his movies fun to be directed by because you just sort of like you have no idea what he's making until you see it. Like you are just a cog in a very lovely yeah. machine. I've heard like <laughs> insane stories about yeah. the red line where it's like yeah, it's like there's so many actors that were like filmed parts of that movie. And we're either like nearly completely cut out or Clooney. entirely cut out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Clooney, like, yeah, isn't he only in the movie for like a minute? He's or at something? the very end of it it's, too. Uh, which is wild. There is a Snyder cut for Thin Red Line that we all deserve. <laughs> yes, release, like a six-hour version. It should be cut ver- by Zack Snyder. Release the Snyder cut of Thin. <laughs> I want halfway through it, uh, Steppenwolf to come in and collect the crystal or whatever. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna remove. Um, all of Steppenwolf, the, the theater the gorgeous, company that steals it. The gorgeous Hans Zimmer score is going to be removed and the most spot-on rock music cues that you could yeah. possibly imagine will be inserted. Into and they'll the all film. be yeah. performed by the Crystal Method. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be oh, like a, an electric somebody, violin. Somebody get HBO Max on the phone. I think <laughs> we have an idea. Yeah. I can't make them mad though, because instead of doing anything clever, all I've done for the last three days is watch Batman the Animated Series like a heroin addict. <laughs> Uh, mwah, mwah. I love. Just, give, give me that I, Bruce Tim. That oh, Paul and then gentlemen, I've moved on to Beyond, and I'm going to be honest with you. Upon rewatch, 20 years later, it is even better. Uh, it's a slapper. It it slaps so goddamn hard. I watched the the, the first <laughs> episode last night. Was just like, is this the best TV show ever made? <laughs> it is like oh god the justice league is so you gotta you're gonna watch you're gonna watch league afterwards and, and justice League's oh good i sure think the best thing the justice league did was become justice league unlimited because that first season's boring it's got real superman the animated series energy yeah. i know well, it's a controversial statement well also the thing is is like they, they fucked up superman they had they gave him like this weird jawline he's got jowls yeah it's like, like no no, no. Loomis drawing. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah for, don't get... for the listeners who can't see patrick was doing a facial uh, like a like a horseshoe mustache. If you were describing it, it to I a thought, deaf man, I I have not seen it, and I yeah, I assumed that they gave Superman a handlebar mustache and then CGI'd it out, that. even in animation. Yeah. Yes, indeed, like to make it real. Well, yeah, you well, know, the, an- the animated Superman was filming uh, the animated Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> yeah, and Christopher McQuarrie wouldn't let Superman shave his mustache in either. Yeah. Have we said Meryl Streep yet? <laughs> No. We have not yet. We're getting to it. We're getting to it. It's We're... almost as you guys are 13 episodes into one topic. Yeah. It's like we're, 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 we are very excited about today's matchup. Yeah. And as usual on the show, same. though, let's we got to get into it. Um, but first off, Kyle, I mean, we've talked about literally every other kind of movie and television show. What's your street story, though? We okay. need to know, like, first movies, first memories. So my first stories. memory of Meryl Streep is the billboard for Death Becomes Her that would scare me <laughs> when I would walk into the public pool for swimming lessons. Wow. As a, as a little guy. And then for many years, she was a, I was not a good judge of like where she fit in on a timeline because I thought she was like an older actress and was incorrect. And so I was actually kind of like woefully unaware for a long time and then kind of came to it. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, she's somebody who I have a lot of like respect for, but I feel like I rarely go for like the staunchy or like kind of stuffy Oscar bait movies that she is often in. Mm-hmm. So she's not normally somebody I go for, but then occasionally she'll pop up on my radar for something. The, the one I was thinking my favorite performance she has ever given in a movie that I adore is Julie and Julia. 
Mm. Uh, yeah. I I love that movie. I got a weird soft spot for like romantic cooking movies because I love that. <laughs> and another one I got a real soft spot for is Simply Irresistible with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I thought you were going to do No Reservations with Aaron Eckhart and oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. I mean, another all, all grand cooking times. romantic movie. Or and, Burnt with our man yeah. Bradley Cooper. Or uh, or Chef. Oh, of course. Chef. How could we ever get Chef? Which was, of course, the love <laughs> affair between a man who makes Star Wars TV shows and a Cuban sandwich. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and I mean, how is he supposed to choose between both Scarlett Johansson and Sofia Vergara who want him so badly this this wonderful you know, chef. Look, if you this think about it though, chef. that movie's kind of a vision board because yeah. like <laughs> he's kind of going like, well, I want to have to choose between Star Wars and making whatever I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just going to be hard for me. And so it's really, it's him. That movie is a vision board at the end of the day. It's just him throwing into the universe what he'd like to see and it 100% works. So we're really the assholes here. He's so money. He's yeah, been telling he, us all along. Uh, I don't even believe, well, he might know it. At this point, yeah. <laughs> well, personally, I just want to, you know, we were talking about the score verse earlier. Give me the chef verse. I want burnt to, I want to, I want to, oh, like a, a, a burnt post, be a, chef. Yeah, but a post credit scene where burnt comes out of the, Mr. Burnt himself comes out of the shadows and is like, he rides yeah. up with his leather jacket and his motorcycle. And yeah. He's like, he's like, the new bad boy of the food scene yeah. in LA. Yeah, I've, I've sous vide my head, man. Watch yeah. out. I'm a freak. Yeah, that that the sous vide that was a big deal in that movie. I okay. That was that was the hot thing before. Uh, what do we all have now? The the what do they call the pressure cookers now? Oh, oh the, yeah, Instapot. Yeah, Instapot. Air Instapot fryer. replaced the sous vide. Yeah. Now I am yeah. a. We are an air fryer household, so like I'm yeah. I I have to be very defensive about the air fryer because it's not like I just have a thing that's way too big on my counter. <laughs> no, I feel I'm like that. The with monolith Adam. that fries shit. Kyle, have you seen? Um, you said you're a big Julia and Julia fan. I, you may have heard Julia and Julia lost in the first round to Sophie's Choice. I was quite in upset. a competitive. That's a brutal matchup. one. Like I yeah. remember seeing the bracket and being bummed because I knew it couldn't win. I'm not gonna lie. That was my prediction when we first. I was like, I think Julia and Julia is gonna win this whole thing. And you and voted so for it. You voted vote for it. it. I yeah, for it. I liked it. It's fun. Uh, it was brave. I mean. Obviously, Sophie's Choice it, yeah, it's, lingers, it's, it's lingers over it's, this entire podcast. Yeah. Sophie's oh, Choice God. is that yeah. 97 bowls. Like, you know they're going to yeah, win. Yeah, it's just it's, how yeah. are they going to win? Like, yeah. like yeah. And, and they can be, like, like Julie and Julia is, is a real Reggie Miller. Like, it's going to give them a real run for their money. But, yeah. like, at the end of the day, this is this fate is sealed. Yeah. Kevin, That's yeah. as far as my sports run can go, and it's just because I watched the fucking last dance. Yeah. Kevin Klein is Scotty Pippen? Yes. That works. Oh, yeah. That's a shirt you should sell. Just with a question oh. mark too, Kevin Klein is funny. <laughs> hey, listen, listeners, we've given you almost every episode a wide variety of fan shirts that you could put together. Oh, listeners, Let's... here's the, oh, let me let me give you a way to really uh, just ruin these two fellows' day. If any of you hear these things and have any level of graphic design, you could set up an Academy Academy like T Public page and just let people send you stupid shirts that they can make on demand. Yeah. <laughs> What I'd like to see is you all remember the uh, basket, like the Dream Team T-shirts or the Bulls T-shirts that were all like the caricature drawings of the entire team from the '90s. Let's see one of those with every one of the streak characters we have covered on one T-shirt. That's that's a big gang. I'd like to see that. What if that's like you guys wrap up and each time you just have this insane group shot shirt of all (laughs) the characters from each each competition? Well, we you know we we did mention the other day the death becomes her devil wears Prada possibly. 
taking Which place in the same... Which also just sounds like a great warp Tour lineup. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> same universe, though. The, the uh, Meryl Streep cinematic universe. You know, uh, we, MCU, we, posited, we posited that Madeline Ashton could have been on the cover of Runway magazine in the 1980s. True. Let's do, I don't think that's too far out of, Ooh, like out of reason. You know, it probably was a big pill, though, to Miranda Priestly and was like, you're never working with Runway yeah. again. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't cotton to this, sir. So she got Stanley Mom. Tucci in the room and she's like, can you get rid of this weird lady? Can I? Can I? <laughs> I think, she, you know, she doesn't even know the different shades of blue. Yeah. So may I share my situation with this particular episode and these particular Merrill films. Yes, let's get you into it. gave me a lovely round of, of choices. And I remember exactly where I was when I was choosing them because I was in the, the passenger seat of my, my girlfriend's 1999 Volvo station wagon. She was getting gas. I was hanging in the car, checking my email like you do. And uh, I saw the options and was like, God, there's a lot of real good stuff here. And then looked at my girlfriend whom I love and my girlfriend loves a musical and she also loves the film Mamma Mia and she has always wanted to show it to me. So I was like, I could knock out two birds with one stone, watch <laughs> Mamma Mia, hang with my girlfriend, everybody wins. That was in November. Uh, I then realized at the end of this weekend that I still had not watched either movie yet. And my girlfriend works a lot and so was unavailable. So all of a sudden cut to the two movies I picked to watch with my girlfriend for a lovely date weekend instead turned into me fucking in 48 hours watching both yeah. movies by myself. That sounds, uh, like, that sounds a lot like our world, guys. As a, oh, yeah. as a fellow who does not enjoy musicals to begin with, it was quite the learning lesson. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I was, no, that was like me last night at like, you know, midnight or whatever, like in the complete dark with my, my, my headphones on you know, just in front of my computer, my big computer screen, just like watching <laughs> Mama Mia being like, I could have planned this better. <laughs> no, I, I, watched, I watched it at six in the morning this past weekend before Jen got up because I yeah. didn't think she would want to, um, frankly, didn't think she would want to sit through Mama Mia again. God, and... imagine you're just like walking out and you just like quietly sitting with the cats in the dark watching Mamma Mia on a low kinda, volume. Yeah, it's kind of the um, yeah, kind of the idea. And I'm watching with the uh, closed caption on so I can read the Apple lyrics. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean she's been a real sport. She she um, she watched the tail end of both Devil Wears Prada and Florence Foster Jenkins in the last couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so you had not had you seen either of these two films? I had you not. You had not not Mamma Mia, but not Florence. I, either. I had not even seen either. I'd been curious about Flora Foster Jenkins, or Florence Foster Jenkins, because it's got an interesting cast. It it is. Uh, I do enjoy on occasion a kind of a light comedy, which this sort of feels like it's in the vein of. Like, and and so. I, I did not know what to expect out of it. Uh, my mom has seen both. And so she was giving me a quick rundown as I'm going through them. She, uh, she like me, uh, uh, or she was like, yeah, Mama Mia is awful. Uh, God help you. But Florence Foster Jenkins is cute. And, and she was correct. It is a very cute movie. And, uh, and, and Mama Mia uh, exists. Uh, it has it has things I found interesting about it. I think the real trick, and again, this is just was it all this is all because I love my girlfriend. I'm just gonna keep saying that is like she loves ABBA. I do not. Uh, I think those Swedes are too happy and they gotta knock that shit off. 
Uh, but we actually almost went and saw an ABBA tribute band once, but I then learned that the real reason I can continue to love my girlfriend is when we learned that tickets were $40 each. She does not love ABBA enough to pay $40 to see a tribute band, mm -hmm. and that is an acceptable level of ABBA fandom. Agree. Like, it, it really, the line for me would be walking into a bar and unexpectedly an ABBA band was already, yeah. had already started playing. And, and I was if like, they're okay. mid SOS, I might stick around, but like, otherwise, <laughs> like, I'm like, I wonder what the smokers are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like for me, it's There's like a bar down the street that is just playing <laughs> CDs. <laughs> yeah. It's called Johnny Rockets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they don't have booze here. They do if you pour whiskey into a milkshake. <laughs> You go across the street to the liquor store and then come back to Johnny Rockets. I'm a bit of they a girl drink drunk. <laughs> uh, I was just like, for me, it's like, I don't think I would, I would pay $20. That's my top, my, my Same, that was, point. I agreed. Uh, when we thought it was 20 each. But here's the caveat. It would have to be like a, like a, a, a it'd have to have a, like a, a gimmick beyond just jumpsuit is the word you're looking for. Oh, no, not just, I'm talking either reggae, like a Dread Zeppelin, oh. or, or, or a ska. A ska ABBA mm. would be very silly. Oh, well, I mean, if, well, if, if, if they would be Scaba. My girlfriend is a ska fan as well. So if they had been Scaba, we'd just have paid eighty dollars to see yeah. them. That was too easy. I, I we did we did put up nobody responded and damn it, I thought this was a good one. I we put up a little question on Twitter a few months ago of um turn a Meryl Streep movie into a ska band. And I went Scamma with Scamma Mia. Scamma Mia, yes. Uh, but good. um there's got to be others. She's been in a lot of movies. Florence Scoster Jenkins is a <laughs> yeah. band that I would watch. Mm -hmm. uh, Just yeah, for I the think... boldness. And they're only covering um, Cosme McMoon originals. Did you guys watch that one with subtitles? Because that was real fun. Yes, I did as oh, well. Yeah. yeah, because there is both sometimes where it is just Latin on your screen, and then other times where it just says in brackets "poor singing." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like hoo hoo hee 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 hoo. <laughs> Weirdly enough, anytime Pierce Brosnan sung in "Mamma Mia," I got the same subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god, man! Let's let's get into "Mamma Mia." Let's get into "Mamma Mia." I'm gonna shit. give you all the stats. We we gotta review the stats. This movie dropped in 2008. It is directed by Felita Lloyd, who. The only director with two films still in the tournament oh, also shit. directed The Iron Lady. Based, of course, on the stage musical Mamma Mia with featuring the music of ABBA. This film was budgeted at $52 million Damn. and at the box office made an astounding $615.7 Over half a million, million dollars. Um, <laughs> Fuck you, Dark Knight. The, uh, actually released the same it was it was released uh no it was a year pardon it was yeah same year same, same time year as dark night sorry same year as dark night baby yep. what a and, summer. um yeah I, I saw dark night three times in imax and i saw mama mia zero <laughs> <laughs> the uh, rotten tomatoes score for mama mia 54%. The critical consensus, this jukebox musical is full of fluffy fun, but rough singing voices and a campy tone might not make you feel like you can dance the whole 90 minutes. Um, zero Academy Award nominations. nominations. That's 
Agreed. That's a shame. There's a couple so, that I could have seen going yeah. in there. There's like, a there's a certain certain fellow over your shoulder that I feel like they really missed <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we, we, I, we maybe we just jump in before we get to Meryl Streep. We do discuss what got to me most, almost most this time around was the charms of the male side they're of the cast. So good. They, oh, well, real. this is they're they're the cute ones in this like like they they do none of the heavy lifting they just get to be cute and charming and kind of objects like that's it's kind that's the that's the one thing that kind of carried me through watching it is the way this movie is objectifying three older men yeah. in a way where i'm like oh i love this none of which seem to like get in shape oh no, no. their shirts uh, off Pierce Brosnan is probably the worst looking he's ever been <laughs> no, no, in love stone stone stars guard is like my like he's my mvp i would say if that's oh he's the one i would say give him give him a little gold man yeah give his butt cheeks an oscar for this little eye tattoo so like can we agree by the way that we are five years out from stellan skarsgård's dick just starring in a lars von trier movie like that's imminently (laughs) coming it's it's shocking that's also the title of the film yeah it's just and and i will and after it happens i will watch the film Early on, because yeah. I do that with Lars Ventura, that I will ask everyone I know, "Hey, y'all see the new Lars Ventura movie?" And I'll just get crickets as I have gotten on his last few movies. I, I maintain <laughs> Lars Ventura has, has a very specific place in my heart that is occupied by basically two things, and they are things where they are not my favorite, but I think that the world is a better place because they exist, and that is Lars Ventura and the Butthole Surfers are two <laughs> things that I will defend to the fucking death because they're so. They they just make the world more exciting knowing they're out there. Oh, the you know the thing about it is we can make a real nice. I, I listen to this transition, guys. Lars von Trier does not have anything as catchy as the song Pepper, but the film Mamma <laughs> Mia does. <laughs> yes, that he's he. So him. this is this is the thing I like about this movie a lot. Everybody in this movie is having the best time ever making this movie. Yes, 100%. We, we are watching a bunch of wealthy people con a studio into giving them $50 million to go on the greatest vacation of all time. Like, one of the one of the critics did say, they're like, this is watching a bunch of superstars doing drunk karaoke, which is not far off. It's drama club for for people who want to go back to being in drama club again. Yeah, Which is, is Meryl Streep to a T, because you could see she's having like another ABBA thing, the time of her life or whatever. If you don't think Meryl Streep put on a conductor hat and led a massage train every day. (laughs) Shout out to all my sexually frustrated drama kids out there. I I just love how charming this movie is. Like we talked about it the first time and I thought it was like a negative just how many musical numbers they do on that one dock that they built. Because they they keep returning to that dock and they do it some variation of a musical number multiple times. And before I was like, this seems kind of low rent, but now I'm like, no, they built it. Let's keep putting people they out here on this guy. Oh, yeah. they, and, yeah. and all the like this, the extras in this are, especially like after watching the prom where like everything in the prom feels so artificial and like none of the people what? like feel like they're from a small Indiana town to this. <laughs> and no one is having fun. Like they're having yeah. fun in this, this movie. This is like, they got motherfuckers. There's like, I wanted like, there's no Stavros in the prom. This has a motherfucking like a, a legit, like Greek character. Also, it is insane how like, it is just like a caricature of Greek. Like they find like the, yeah. most, oh, the like, Greek, the literal Greek chorus. Oh, yeah, the literal weird, Greek chorus. Weird locals. <laughs> Oh, it rolls. That was pitched to them by somebody going, wait, I got a great idea. (laughs) 
And, um, you know, we're bouncing around here, but that I think that is kind of in character with this film is kind of a... Oh, does it have a plot? Coverage. Uh, okay, so for those of you who have not it's seen Mamma Mia... It's by jukebox musical standards. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is getting married to Sky. And, um, <laughs> and she does not know who her father is. She lives on the most gorgeous Greek island at this hotel that is literally cracking at the seams. So we can get to the whole ejaculation at the end of it. Oh, but, yeah, um, <laughs> but the horniest um, movie ever made. Yeah, it, like, it's, it's like, one of the horniest movies ever. Well, made, it's like you know, it's funny. Doubt. It's like it's horny, but it's not like it's very like it's so. It's almost like a PG thirteen. Yes, magic, absolutely. Like, it's like, kind it's like, of like it's Austin Powers in the latter films horny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's just like we're gonna reference like a blowjob, but then no one's ever gonna have sex, and you're not getting a blowjob. You're you're getting a diaper. May which I is, throw which, out which also. is the highlight, of, which is probably the highlight. Of, that that musical number is my favorite. Yeah. We oh, talked about it at the time before. 100%. The Baranski Pepper is absolutely insane flirtation. So, oh, yeah. I love Christine Baranski with all of my heart because of Adam's Family Values and the show Sybil. Uh, she is, I, I adore her. Anytime she's in something, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize we were here to have a good time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like, her, like the, the, the chemistry between the three of those gals oh, it's so is, good. is, it is wine drunk aunt energy times a thousand. And I love it. Also, can we point out, I don't know if you guys brought this up on the last time you discussed it. This movie is in some weird ways, the natural sequel to Three Men and a Baby, even more so than Three Men and a Little Lady. <laughs> it did not come up. It makes sense. <laughs> oh, but well, we wouldn't give for a dance in Gutenberg's Selick recasting God. of this film. Oh my That's God. That's gotta happen. Yeah. I can't believe though, God, it's, it was such, speaking of the, the three wonderful, the, the backing band to Donna, Donna and the what are they? What the hell are they called? I'm forgetting. I saw, oh, I saw it said less than Oh, Donna and the Dynamos. Donna and the Dynamos. When Julie Walters gets into that rowboat and slowly but surely falls out of it, I don't know. Like, I was like, this is hitting me at the America's Funniest Home Videos core of my That's youthful, what she's there what for. I this humor. <laughs> like, she is just like, I know my role and I will execute it with finesse. Throwing herself at Skarsgård. Oh, yeah. Just shake them across rooftops. Tex yeah. Avery, like full on Tex Avery horny wolf energy. Yes. Just like, like, like the it's like she's like wearing the mask from the mask. Like. She's lapewing yeah. him hard. <laughs> it's it is, a it just, a, it's, I don't know what, I think you just have to get on the wavelength. Like the first time we watched this, I mean, we talked about it on our episode with Avery. I think both Patrick and I had the exact same reaction of like, holy hell. Yeah. What is this? Well, and that's and- what's so fun about this movie too, though, is like it is you're almost punch drunk by by the end of it. But at the same time, and like, and don't get me wrong, I do not like this movie, but like <laughs> there is no one thing I can point to and say that's what I don't like. Every individual piece of it, I'm like, oh, that seems fun. You know, it's it's like it's it's very the the cognitive dissonance I carry thinking about this movie is like I feel like I am like Schrodinger's liked this movie. Like I both liked it and didn't like it in equal parts, depending on what I'm thinking about. I will say that like it's one of those things too, where like it might just be that I have a Stockholm syndrome, and it's like okay, this isn't Sophie's choice. This isn't Kramer versus. Kramer. Oh yeah, no, neither of you can but, be trusted. But at it this is point. like, oh, yeah, but it is like, yeah, it is like. Wait, this, this thing is where, science, Kyle. Did you hear the intro? <laughs> we are, we are 
are scientists after all, pl- plunging into the unknown. Uh, but uh, but uh, it is like this thing where it's like it's it's Bacchic revelry. It's Dionysian. Uh, I have like you know Pepper is basically like a trickster god. He's Coyote. He's Puck. He's Pan. <laughs> and he is. And that was what blew me away. I texted Patrick this earlier because this is the extent of our text message conversations. Yeah. I found out that Pepper is evidently Sky's best man, Insane. and I didn't even know that they had any. I thought he was his job was simply the horny bartender. I did not realize he was that good of buddies with Sky. He's but I a guess whole I, person. Yeah, he's a whole person, evidently. Yeah, who, he's a he's a he's a trickster entity. He's, who mistakes? He, who mistakes? An ex, a diaper being put on him for a blowjob. Well, that's the, well, here's the thing. He yeah, uh, very silly. Very silly. But it's like he's satyr. But then if he's satyr, then Christina Bran- Christine Bransky is Aphrodite. Oh, absolutely. Who would, and who would who would be tricked if satyr is going to be tricked by someone? It is Aphrodite. You know what Indeed. I like about Christine Bransky in this is that she is like, look, I know I still look hot. So like, let's just have one more solid ride for the road. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, she looks fabulous in this movie. And, and, and it also carries the confidence of like knowing she looks fabulous and it's kind of amazing. You know, I, one thing I did notice too this time around is that everyone has a very natural, I fell asleep off after a couple margaritas in the sun suntan yes all the way through the film and it feels so real it might be the most grounded thing in this entire movie it's it's vacation footage like we have a photo in our house from uh new york city where we had all met up a bunch of people and we are all different kinds of vacation tan like staring at a camera like that that weird summer aesthetic you can only get when you've just been drinking and laying around in direct sunlight i you know just speaking of summer i Maybe the weirdest song, and you know, Patrick brought it up a little bit earlier, is the where Amanda Seyfried goes on the boat with the three guys, yeah. and they oh talk God. about being being ex hippies and like rockers and stuff like that, like the ballad. <laughs> and you're like, and you, and it was, it is also your first taste of all three men's singing voices, I believe, in the film, and um, <laughs> that getting... take that that I mean, that does take you to the next level in this movie if you're going through like Dante's circles of purgatory <laughs> um, and but i was charmed this time right because pierce brosnan obviously is not the world's um he ain't no pepperotti we'll just put it that way yeah um <laughs> ain't no pepperotti no barely pepperotti or pepperoni um yeah but he loves it he loves singing he's a guy who probably has been trying to get in a musical for quite a long time and everyone's like i don't know pierce like <laughs> Oh, this is a great idea. <laughs> and he finally had all of his cachet to get into this one. There was a pretty good song and dance number cut out of Die Another Day. Yeah. Where he, you know, sings about how communists know how to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Bond is uh, got his most difficult operation yet. It's infiltrating a regional Broadway theater. I'd watch the fuck show. out of that. Like, that would be the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> but I'd watch the Daniel Craig. Yeah. <laughs> My name is uh, Sam Carter, and uh, here to sing for. Uh, I, I I love I, um I love Les Mis. I'm I here. have I have I I'm not British. I just love the Putnam County spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this is this is nothing. This is nothing. It's not a gun. This is um, yeah. I, I, no, let me sing. Yeah, the Book of Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like Bond's producers? It might be your time. You've made like 40 of them. I think it's time for a musical. What, one day they'll have fun with it. I, I, uh, I, I think the other thing that was fun watching this is like, I, uh, like I said, I am not a fan of musicals, but I am a, a I, I, for a brief period of time was a theater teacher. And so I, I did direct two musicals with the, a bunch of children. I, I've done Susical and Guys and Dolls. <laughs> and it's weird because it has now given me this like thought process on watching musicals that when I was just some guy who played music and didn't enjoy musicals, it was a different thing. But, like now I can't not look at them with a vaguely critical eye because I'm just like, man, now I know this is hard. So I have to give credit where credit's due when I watch these. <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, I think you, I mean, you really summed it up. This is like drama club reunion from a bunch of incredibly successful yeah. incredibly me, successful people it is a whole sub genre because i've definitely I'm, I'm coming up with a blank but there's definitely like other movies where i've used that equivalency and i think that periodically you just see like clusters of actors who get that drama club fever of wanting to go back and and we all get to watch like a movie where it's not meant for us the first round, uh, Mamma Mia played the uh, Into the Woods, which yeah. I would put in that exact same yes, category, 100%. but they're having far less fun. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But Into I the think Woods, that... Sorry, you go. Well, go ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, Into the Woods could have used a little more of this energy. Like, that's like the biggest, like, it was just, yeah, just no energy in that movie. It I is. Think... Yeah. It's a movie that, that just, like, like, I forget happened. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, we. It's, I forgot a few weeks ago when we were covering the brackets what actually i forgot the film entirely we, we watched it but i think like yeah uh, movie musicals you can't take the like <laughs> you know the daniel craig bond approach of like this is serious we're making a serious it's like it has to be this weird it has to be this goofy or else it's just it's like it's what? gonna feel like a slog because there is like that what I'm kind of fascinated by is like the, the cinematic musical that's not like a classical musical, like once being kind of top example. And one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called The Commitments. I don't know if you guys oh, know yeah. the Alan Parker yes. flag. And both those are musicals, but they're not like classical concepts of a musical, but they're still wall-to-wall music. And I think like with those, you get away a little bit more with that like grit, you know, like like The Commitments does such a good job of showing that like 80s Ireland is kind of a third world country. And like once really shows the kind of like, weird boring process of like making music and stuff like that so you get this other layer but in, in when you're just doing like a straight bang out musical the idea that you need to go like this is serious it's like we have so much glitter on our budget like we need to remember what we're making it needs to it needs to reach like psychedelic surreal realms like there's no singing in it and this is like a i think we may have mentioned it on an earlier episode i uh, it, you know talk about like elitist movie talk but uh, Pal and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. There we go. The actual, yeah, there you go. The ballet, <laughs> the ballet sequence gets downright like psychedelic. There's there's a moment in Singing in the Rain, which I think is probably yeah. the best of the um, Hollywood musicals. Singing in the Rain leans hard on kind of going surreal and like because you want to see movement, you want to see like big like set post Bugsy Berkeley, like oh we got to turn humans into symbolism now. Yeah, and I and I and I think like it's why Chicago think, works so well is like that's a movie that that really understands what it's working with. Mm-hmm. And I think like unfortunately a lot of these like we talked about on the prom, which we did watch Kyle for a bonus episode. And the difference though between throwing 
a movie star like Nicole Kidman into a musical sequence or having Andrew Rannells who won the Tony for Book of Mormon in a musical sequence. It's like, oh, this guy gets kind of the like weirdness and kind of like out of this world quality that a musical brings to the table that she's a great actor, but she's putting in kind of an actor performance in the scene. It's also, in the like, scenes. it's also like a showmanship thing too. Like Andrew Randall, like he dances. There's like a huge and like and I think that's like the thing about that works about this is Mamma Mia is like crazy dancing, weird extras doing like you know we had that one moment where they're all wearing scuba gear for some fucking reason. Yeah, the the big uh, the walk with the flip flops. It's it's wonderful. It's insane, and it's like you need that like level of and that's what didn't work as much uh, about like. Uh, the I've also I forgot it the the, the into the you know, woods into the god yeah into the woods is that like you never into the had woods out yet. of the memory yeah, yeah. yeah but the, I I do think though yeah at most musicals they do need dancing in addition yeah. to you know show tunes uh, and that, that kind of thing like you need the movement yeah, yeah. K- kinetic you need that kinetic yeah. energy the it's like a kung fu movie like you can't you yeah. have to have fighting in it or it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. imagine, yeah, man, yeah, it's a Bruce Lee movie, but he's just—it's just the parts that he isn't fighting. Yeah, it's <laughs> a movie of like Steven Seagal eating half a sandwich and then I'd watch that. Neck. Those, yeah. those are actually closer to the more recent Seagal films. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are like he funded it, like they were funded by like a, a Chechen Bulgaria. warlord, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> filmed in Azerbaijan. <laughs> hey, but he's also—it's like he's sitting in a chair and he's sending someone else out on a mission. So you just throw a sandwich in front of him. The, you're pretty much all the way there. The movies that get made in Eastern Europe subgenre of cinema. Uh, back in the nerdist days, we had uh, fuck, what's his name? The uh, the guy from Justified and uh, and Deadwood, uh, Timothy Oliphant, oh, and we were uh, talking about something, and it was just one of the most like matter of fact statements I've ever heard someone say. Where it was like he was like, yeah, and it was tough, and I was hurting for money, and like, what'd you do? He's like, I shaved my head and went to Eastern Europe and shot a hitman movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He like, did. That's what these exist for. Is like because sometimes you need a new fence and you act. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, it, it, you see it though, like somebody brought it up today. Like I don't know if you, we're dating did today's episode that Bruce Willis was tossed from a pharmacy for not wearing a mask. Oh today, shit! And he was refusing that, to put it on. And this is somebody not took there's like a photo of him, and it's it may you may as well transpose that photo to the cover of one of his directed DVD <laughs> action movies. Yeah. That just truly like this, was like, Hearts this, War. Yeah, this empty, this kind of like droopy face, sad eyes, like I don't know what I'm doing anymore <laughs> kind of look. It's like a movie where they're trying to make uh, Bucharest look like Dallas. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, we talked about it in the last episode, our favorite uh, rumble in the Bronx of Vancouver. Oh yes. my god, yeah. <laughs> Which is the all-time classic. <laughs> yeah, you said that the, 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 the rolling mountains of New York City. Yeah. <laughs> the, the mountains everyone knows hey new york greatest city in the world yeah uh, like, <laughs> stacy and gotti like you know you got staten yeah. island you got the bronx, the bronx got queens <laughs> you got the mountains how much better would the king of staten island be if they shot it in vancouver uh that'd be pretty good <laughs> just the balls that judd apatow would have yeah. <laughs> davidson Traditionally indifferent, so still playing the role. Yeah, he wouldn't. He didn't notice. He did yeah. not notice. Um, but yeah, I, I think like back, back to Mamma Mia. I I think Meryl Streep in particular, if we want to talk about her, 
it's it's a very interesting thing and i was thinking this seems like it's almost like the closest to the real person of interesting what we've watched like it not not like uh, like one-to-one biography but kind of just the vibe of like you know i think of christina's story from our last episode of seeing meryl streep at that concert and she was dancing around like a supportive mom to her son who was on stage i want to throw a thesis out to you guys about this movie that's the thing i was thinking of the now that you sent her energy I wish she had this energy she has in this movie in Ricky and the Flash. Mm, interesting, interesting. And you've I, seen I, Ricky. Yes. Well, I mean, Demi, baby. Yeah. Uh, but like, Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 it is, I, that is a movie that like I want to like because I like Diablo Cody. I like uh, fucking John Demi. Like uh, the premise of it is a fun premise. And, and it's weird because she is, you know, one of the best actors of all time. And I feel like she, actively is the thing that does not work in that movie interesting interesting and i wish you, i wish wish, you, I wish, wish she was a little was more naturalistic around. and chill because i think that would be a better deadbeat mom vibe i think that there's a battle going on in ricky and the flash between kind of demi's i don't know i i think both are incredibly talented interesting artists mm-hmm. i don't know if jonathan demi and diablo cody no stylistically mesh because he's so grounded and sincere especially it, at that it, point like because that's that's the that's his last movie so it means it's yeah. he goes from rachel getting married to that mm-hmm. so like it's such a weird place creatively to go from like i mean like rachel getting married is one of those movies that like i could talk for 11 hours about because like, every aspect of it, it is growing in of, a steam masterpiece yeah it, it is a triumph of american cinema on a level that we are still not doing credit enough to yet but oh, yeah. like and, and no, I remember the flash is really has that sense of like okay he's gonna go do something different which is what successfully does across his career and on paper all these pieces seem great and it's just one of those classic hollywood like we threw it together and it just none of the pieces quite coalesce and it's a shame because it's a there's a good movie there and i think like if the things that work in this movie for this movie that doesn't work went to that i think we could salvage something i think you could see because i think that they were doing like obviously i think like the iraq war supporting aspects of ricky and like those kind of like weird kind of like twists and yeah i agree with you it's a bridge too far like it's too many layers of attempting to be clever talking about like that generation of of rocker parents and i think that the scenes clearly that demi cared about the most were the bar band Mm -hmm. scenes which is shooting around the the band and that you know my favorite my one of my favorite scenes is the freezer weed scene with kevin klein where they're getting like and you get to see the two of them like because they've got such an ease together and you could put that scene in mama mia and then throw an abba song in and it would feel relatively comfortable with just energy wise oh that would have been so great if that power ballad on the hillside was transplanted to a kitchen getting some freezer weed and they're doing the exact same number. Absolutely. Like, and and Klein feels like somebody who you could have put as one of the, the potential dads in this movie. Oh and yeah. It. And he yeah. can, you know, knowing Bob's burgers, like he can sing. Yeah. Well, he's a, like Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein is a true blue a hall of fame drama kid. Yeah. Like permanently for picture on the career. wall. Like he's one of the presidents. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I would, I would, we were talking, we would have thought, we thought he would be so terrific in the Bruce Willis role in Death Becomes Her. Yes. Although that to me is like maybe the greatest role Bruce Willis ever played. Like he's, it's, he's, it's, 
it is he's, a, he's a incredibly funny anomaly in, in his career to in such a way that you're just like this almost feels impossible so like i almost never want to like mess with that role just because <laughs> like it's it is a a fragile piece of glass that must be treasured <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think i mean i you know, I, I, I like that thesis that this character, like, because this is kind of the Earth mom character that they were going for in Ricky yeah. and the Flash without any of kind of the quirky. She's yeah. not quirky in this movie. You know, she's just, you know, outside of the overalls, perhaps. I have but, so um, many friends' moms who are that character mm -hmm. so it was that's the wild thing watching this is just like god there is so many people i grew up with who like like this is their their fun like kind of chill stoned mom yeah yeah and i think yeah she's such a you know so, uh, something we've talked about many times before too uh she's such a open-hearted co-star to everyone yeah. around her yes and you can see it in every, you know, Amanda Seyfried feels like she, like, loves her mom because it's Meryl Streep. Pierce Brosnan is loosey-goosey simply because he gets to perform across from her. And he's going to get know. in there. I will, I, will say, in, yeah. I, will, I will say that, like, so, like, sometimes that works in Streep's benefit, but in Mamma Mia, watching it the second time, like, one thing I recognize, part of, like, why I like this movie so much the not liked, but why I voted for it the first time was that you got to see Streep like, like this is that you. I think you're 100 correct. This is like the purest form of Streep you'll ever see. But uh, one thing I did notice too is that like she is so giving in this movie, and she's giving to the point where like she is the protagonist, and I think she is kind of the glue that keeps this movie, you know, as grounded as it ever will be. But she kind of <laughs> yeah. gets lost. She gets lost in the maelstrom a little bit. Like Absolutely. She just, like she doesn't get like a good, she, I w like I wish she had a pepper moment. You know what I mean? Like she deserves to diaper Pierce Brosnan. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, her and Pierce Brosnan should have had a funny song together. Agreed. Yeah. That I just don't think there's an it. ABBA song that would have fit that. That's the weird thing about an ABBA thing is like ABBA <laughs> writes gonna... songs about nothing. So it's weird sure, that they cobbled together a goddamn plot around a bunch of songs that are gobble catchy gobbledygook. And we're going to take a Swedish band and we're going to set this entire damn thing in Greece because why not? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that. Day. Why, I'm like, why did they choose Greece? Because that's where they matter. wanted to go on vacation. That's where they are. And, I believe and, that was still when Greece was in financial trouble too. So I bet it was cheap to shoot. Yeah, it lo and it does look great, except for when they went to London for all the interiors. The green, <laughs> the green screen through the windows looks, oh God, looks like, absolutely awful. Or when they're <laughs> driving. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it does look like something out of like the 40s. Like, yes. Just like. Do you think, think that's intentional or do you think they're just like wine drunk and give no fucks? I think it's. Uh, what is this movie? This was 50, 50. 52. It's not it's not huge. It's that it's it's in that range that doesn't happen anymore, which is like famous people mid budget. Yeah, and it was it made monster success. I it's hard to say. I, I think that they did what they could. If they're moving to London and you gotta get you gotta like because that you know, one thing we talked about with their suntans is just like the scene, the Dominic Cooper, Amanda Seyfried rolling around on the beach love song that, you know, from like a cinema, cinematography point of view, that sun is really difficult yes. to replicate on a stage unless you like, you know, nowadays they would do plate, they would shoot all the plates and put it behind them. Oh, yes, but, when they sucked all the fun out of movies. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know this one i think was a uh, even in 2008 the cg 
you know, especially on something cheap was more expensive and something cheaper like this. It does what it can. I, I think that they're hoping that with all of the stars and all of the ABBA music, it, there, it would, feels there would like not it's... be assholes like us 12 years later yeah. critiquing it. <laughs> it doesn't matter, I think, at the end of the day as part of it, which is yeah. really a thing I've come to kind of appreciate about the concept of special effects in general is just like, if you make something, it doesn't even have to be good, but just like fun, I feel yeah. like, you know, it's it's really easy to hate a movie special effects when you just hate the movie. But at the same mm -hmm. time, when something like doesn't look great, but like I do think that's the real power of acting and movie stars at the end of the day is like they're your number one special effect. That's what uh, I think we've talked about before with Paul Thomas Anderson said. When yeah, uh, yeah, he was like uh, someone was asking him about effects and effects movies. He goes, I don't need special effects. I have Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> it was like he's right. He's I, right. When uh, when the world was on fire recently, I just did a couple of days of like Paul Thomas Anderson comfort food watching, and it very much was that. I'm just like mm -hmm. God. Like it's 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 weird that the novelty of his films at this point is like God, these are actors and they just like act in a real location. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, they, they mean I actually want to get to that with Florence Foster Jenkins in a little bit. Is kind of the one of the things I greatly appreciate about elements of it, and also kind of the whole like very set feel of. Yes. The, all of like the spaces they were in and it 100%. felt a little, it was, the staginess of it but well, it goes with the territory we'll get there in a sec yeah. but um yeah i think like this movie one thing i was thinking about with mama mia and with death becomes her and you know it lost in the first round but we've been we've praised her camp stuff we praised uh julian julia and we praised uh defending your life um it's also kind of this vibe of like we we started this pod. Patrick and I have never podcasted in the same room. No. Whoa. Um, Try it. It's fun. Yeah, I'm sure it's great. You guys have a good house for it. Yeah. Um. And kind of this whole like, we chose Meryl Streep, like you mentioned, like this real heavy hitter at the start. We're in the middle of this like quarantine where there's like a low hum depression at all times. Oh yeah. And it's so fear. it's like yeah yeah if if we were recording this two years ago would we give this much leash to mamma mia oh, you know it's like would like would it be this like oh that's nice i like forgot for two hours and listen to these crazy people dance around on a beach and sing abba songs like i, I genuinely before we saw this movie I considered it like I remember my mom got the soundtrack CD for Christmas the year it came out and just like looking at the picture of Pierce Brosnan and Colin Firth with like shit-eating grins on the back cover I was like this is the last movie I ever want to see in my yeah. entire life like I would never willingly choose to watch this movie and now I'm sitting here like well, that was fun if it makes the next round and it has to go against fucking Kramer versus Kramer Iron Lady I'll be happy to watch yeah, that it's, <laughs> that know? is interesting because I absolutely see that like because it's yeah. definitely the the rubric shifts like you know context is such a thing and it mm -hmm. is you know so f funny how much like you know, there are definitely movies in my life that I should hate, but I saw them at a weird low point and they were yeah. like, oh, there's a little light in this. I guess I'm going to stay warm and hide under this for a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I will say that, like, I'm like a fan. I just, you know, I remember when this movie did come out and I, like, high school me and, like, college me would have, like, loathed this movie, would never have seen it. It came out at probably the height of my pretension. 
<laughs> no, I feel same here. Like probably I believe that's is. the same year for instead of watching the Super Bowl, I listened to jazz and read Sartre. I have beaten myself. Wow, man. There it is. There's, you know, it's like when Hunter S. Thompson was talking about the wave in uh, Fear and Loathing and Lost. That was the wave. We yes. finally saw it. We A finally thousand saw it. percent. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm like, I don't know. I, uh, one thing I will say is I think even like in normal times, uh, like I appreciate like now as an older, like I'm someone who at this point, like I will give so much more leeway to something if it's weird or like doing something Same. different or like trying like this is like so um and it feels like they're so trying to emulate like the experience of seeing this movie in a theater like Mm -hmm. in an actual like stage like a stage performance i mean uh and you know and it even like didn't like the lloyd the director she was like the person who did like the the production right the theater production of it I, i believe right or am I just making that up? Pulling that I up? I am not. Oh, we should. Uh, Let me look that up really quickly. We uh, should know, but um, but I agree. Actually, I think like you, you know, bringing that up and thinking of like this movie I, probably really like the reason it made so much money. This was probably a very enjoyable in the movie theater. Yeah. Movie oh, too. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Like this is like, and it's like, uh, yeah. Like it's all. I mean, not, and, and, and it's not even like cats. You know what I mean? Because I used to think it was like a cats thing, where like, oh, it's so bad. It's but it's like, no. Nah, this is just like a yeah. fun. It's fun. It's like a fun movie. It'd be fun to watch in theaters with it's an audience very, that's into it. It's also very sincere. There's yeah. no like wink, wink, like and you know, I, like I, meta shit or anything like well, I that. I think the other thing that to got to be a certain extent that that is historical context and taste changing is that like this feels of a type of movie on so many levels that doesn't exist anymore. And now everything is so austere and so planned out and so like cripplingly earnest in kind of a gross fake way Yeah, with like these big stakes and like everything is the most important thing that's ever happened that they're like in 2008, we were like, yo, dark Knight is the greatest thing that's ever happened because it's like, weird and dark and earnest and it asks a bunch of questions that me at 21 think are very important (laughs) and then you flip over to this and you get just such a different game it's fun it's light it's airy literally nothing about it matters and in a world now like that is what feels kind of punk rock and interesting is something that's willing to go like it's 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 one thing it doesn't matter we're having a time it is like yeah i think Oh, go ahead, Patrick. No, I was just to say, it is like, yeah, when you put it that way, it is almost kind of like a fuck you a little bit in a way that I appreciate where it is just like, I don't, I, I am going to sing poorly. The world is going to come at the very end and you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, the, you know, to you know, connect this to Dark Knight, though, is there is this like, there they is are, like a, they are two sides of a coin. They are two face. Yeah, they, but they both They're have Joker a, and the Batman. They are. They both feel as if they are made by people. Yes, and yeah. that is maybe They're, the difference between that, that and any that movie that comes so out accurate. now. Yes, that's a great, because that's all when we like directors now. It's like, oh man, can you see how like one person made this? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah it's like you know you, you turn to Paul Thomas Anderson because it's like and the the brilliant thing about because a corporate like, boardroom kind of, doesn't make Phantom Thread. <laughs> No, and like Mama Mia has probably like bad takes that they didn't have another version of because no. they just and yeah. it, it's in the movie. There's it it's it it's unpolished. Like even like the greatest movies you can think of, like your favorite movies, like the great like was the Scorsese thing. Like 
that great Thelma Shoemaker line because uh, they were talking about like Raging Bull does like oh the cigarette have, continuity and stuff doesn't have like the proper match cuts yeah and she she literally said in the interview match cuts are for pussies yes and she's correct and she's absolutely correct because that makes it feel real like she's like we're going for their best performance we're not going for like the cleanest like thing like if De Niro or Pesci does something weird that's extraordinary but it doesn't quite match up it's in the movie that's the art of editing it's alive yeah it's like the actors did their job and put in something interesting it's now your job to make that work within the larger thing like that's what makes me love movies at the end of the day more than any other thing that you film is like it is 25 different people's you know interpretations of a core concept that all like and you just in the best cases across the world the best movies are the ones where you see and feel the fingerprints on it Mm -hmm. i mean i watched this uh documentary on the criterion channel this guy has come up a lot for this show on tarkovsky oh yeah and um, he's having a moment like he's really on the rise like like i i'm i'm feeling it in the water like because i started to kind of take a notice in the last couple years all of a sudden it's like oh this guy's made some things like and really i feel like the art filmmaker of choice Yes. right now of that generation uh, he, he is winning the the bergman award for, for yeah, a relevant not, foreign guy yeah him and <laughs> him and him and uh Varda, i would say are the two um hottest yeah. of the of that era but well because like I, I feel like it was like alamodovar and like bong joon ho and they both got like too big and legit <laughs> but um but they they show him trying to film the, at the end of the sacrifice this house burns down and everything goes wrong behind the scenes and you could just see the look on his face and you could see like the oh my god like they're doing it all for real so it's like do we got to rebuild all of this (laughs) and like just kind of like it all sinking in and he's got two cameras going which i'm sure was very unusual for um, for anything like that but you have to to get all the coverage on it and everything has to move it everything goes wrong the pyro goes wrong timing is off the fires aren't right and it's just watching it, and you're just like, oh, this like handmade, beautiful, like even in the best case, even like the biggest perfectionists, they're like stuck in this. And it, it, it's and they did it again. They they did it all again like two weeks later, and they got it right. But it is so beautiful. Well, and it. to me, with like Tartakovsky, part of what's interesting to me is like, you know, I have a very complicated relationship with Stanley Kubrick because I think <laughs> like like. I, I love emotions and humanity. And so it's always been a tough sell for me on his movies, despite enjoying them on a technical level. But like, you know, he's able to do all the things he does with two full countries going, whatever you need to do, do it. Like, mm-hmm. and so you look at like Barry Lyndon and go like, well, of course, this is the most beautiful film ever made. <laughs> Everyone in the world's job was to help him make this most beautiful film. <laughs> where you look him. at like Tartakovsky is making it with Soviet bloc government money, yeah. where like if he fucks this up enough, they will just murder him. And, well, I mean, and Stalker, Stalker is literally shot in a nuclear waste zone. Yeah. Like the, the level of stakes there and the quality he gets out of it is just, con- again, going back to context over and over again is like, that's the thing that you really appreciate watching him is like, God, he's doing this in worse conditions with so much more on the table for if he fucks this up as this incredibly ambitious guy where these people who give zero shits about his vision are like, all right, you better make Mother Russia look good or we're going to kill you. <laughs> It's, it is that idea of like the greatest constraints comes the greatest creativity. I mean, if you yeah. look at a, another Russian film that I saw this past year that 
a lot of people saw, I think it's having a moment as well as come and see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Seen that one. Absolutely. One of the most brutal. I call that a on the forever to do list. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Food, but it's like, you're watching you're like, how did they pull this off? Like it's, it is like, and that's the beauty of like the movies. It's like this mat, it, the Orson Welles thing is like this. It, it is this wonderful magic trick. It's a magic and, trick. and I think with some of the more mainstream movies these days, for as much effects and for as much as going into them, it they don't feel as magical. It's like when Meryl Streep jumps off the dock and does a cannonball in this, that feels like such a beautiful, genuine, in the moment thing. Ooh. And it's and always it's like, fun to me. There needs to be more of that. Yeah. <laughs> like the, more cannonballs. Like you look at like the the moments in in you know like the the I mean we'll we'll dance around the the Marvel word a little more. But like that, I think what's interesting is like you look at something that everybody really enjoys out of something like that, like a Guardians of the Galaxy. And the reason they enjoy it is because there are things to enjoy that are fun instead of like a bunch of plot and special effects. And Mm -hmm. people seem to consistently go like, no, that can't possibly be it. That can't be why people (laughs) enjoy this. We spent too much money for that to be the reason that people like this movie. And it's just, yeah, that humans like to watch humans and humans like to watch, you know, there is something about watching people have fun that is intoxicating. As a Richard Linklater fan, I think about this too much, you know, but there is an intoxicating element to they're having a good time. Now you're having a good time. And like the party movie is a real thing. And I think Mamma Mia is, you know, again, I don't like this movie, but I will continue to say good things about it in that it is a perfect definition of a party movie. Well, and mm-hmm. what's interesting too is like, you say that like people like to watch people have fun. And like, that is like, um, is a weird uh, anecdote, but like my, uh, my uh, little cousin, like my goddaughter, when she was three, so she didn't know how to like, she didn't know the alphabet. She didn't know how to like, you know, spell or write, but she knew the symbols. Uh, she knew how to like type in the right symbols to get Play-Doh videos on YouTube. Yeah. And she just liked watching people play with like Play-Doh. Like she liked watching people or everything that. And it was interesting because you're getting like this insight into like, oh, this is like what the core of entertainment is. Yeah. It's like people just like grocking enjoyment. Well, what it's is the, the people coming out of the fucking office of, or factory? They're just like, that's us, wheelie factories. <laughs> like the popularity of people watch. Like, I like watching. Like, people get their like vinegar syndrome holiday fifty percent mm. off order in the mail and unboxing it and saying like, oh, I got dial code Santa Claus. I'm like, cool. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like you're having fun with it. I'm having fun with it. And I, it's, I, I, we only call it deadly games in this house. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I think that is like, yeah. So I think that is like Mamma Mia in like. Well, it's, it's a deep one. <laughs> Do you see when I titled that episode for Everything Is Scary based on your recommendation? I put all of the titles in parentheses oh, after d- after Deadly Games, so it's just a, it, the thing is like the longest title I've ever posted on a podcast. I don't think Meryl Streep has ever been in a movie that has come through multiple release retitles but uh as as fans of um genre films you know love a second or third name for something love finding out that i've actually seen three movies i like it when you see a movie that has no zombies in it and then you find out it was released as zombie five yeah in italy or something somebody who for 99 cents bought zombie three from block my blockbuster on vhs (laughs) when it closed a thing i still have somewhere (laughs) Oh, uh, zombie would be another uh, high school 
classic when you oh, first yeah. hear like okay it's okay it's a pretty good movie but at one point there's a super slow motion shot where a woman's eye slowly goes into a wood splinter and then there's also a zombie versus shark fight so you're like okay I, that's plenty that's plenty I for me <laughs> work on a thing with zombies in it or, or did once upon a time and have have a little second screen and i would show like, like just run horror movies sometimes just as a comfort food thing on my second screen when i wasn't using it at work and i made several co-workers come in and watch the zombie versus shark scene forgetting that the third co-star in that scene is a topless italian woman yeah so now i just look like some weird manic pervert at work <laughs> <laughs> don't they know though it's an italian horror movie and that is part it, of the turns genre out, no don they didn't they didn't know what that meant I'm they were not in a high bad... school where they just were mad at italian yeah. horror and they didn't know why <laughs> I'm not a bad man. It's Italian. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. We watched. Um, we Blame watched Bruscaloni, Berlusconi. <laughs> I did we make them all Black watch Cat. Satyricon after that, and that was oh, unnecessary. Geez. We watched uh, Black Cat, the recently released Italian uh, horror Ooh. film from Severin over Halloween, and um, Severin only which, the finest, which includes multiple music cues from zombies. Um, Hell yeah. From the Suspiria score, just <laughs> intermixed, and it claims to be a third part in in, in a, a oh, spiritual sure. sequel to Suspiria. Yeah, exactly. It killed Halloween. Jen just leaned in to say how awful it was, but it, it hit all of the tropes you could imagine. Um, we should probably get to final Mamma Mia thoughts oh, yeah. before we uh, move on here to Florence. It's, a fun yeah. movie I hate. Uh, fun movie I hate. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm I'm uh I'm sucked into the void. I'm it's part of me now. I like I said I I am yeah. Dionysus. I see that the, my third eye is opened and I see visions of Pepper's little weird towel diaper. This is because I brought up Holy Mountain. It's yeah. I put him on a journey. It's, yeah, the um, golden the golden poop. It's my Captain Trips in both a good and bad way. You guys watching the new um, stand, by the way? Yes, yes, it's we are. so fucking good. Ooh, I haven't watched it yet because I, I, I I'm, I'm a, I'm a diehard for the old school. Oh, say, oh, that, okay, Patrick. Let's talk for a second before we get into Florence Foster Jenkins because the stand TV movie was a is still a huge thing for my family. Oh. Like the the book and the TV movie were both massive family things for us. Everybody's read the book. Everybody's seen. The, we watched that thing a million times. Uh, yeah. We had the four VHSs of it, and. Oh, so Damn. this has been like an event for like a year. We've all been hyped in this house. And I, uh, you know, I'm coming off of, you, you know, we're in this, we're on, we're in this <laughs> Stephen King run and it's been a weird mixed bag. Loved it. I think Dr. Sleep is a straight up masterpiece. Uh, it too happened and Castle Rock is awful. So like, I'm really going in nervous and I cannot tell you how fucking good of a job they're doing and the things that they are shifting around or playing with like I like I am not a really a TV guy. Like especially like our dramas are maybe my least favorite thing. Right. And the fact that like last year we got Watchmen and this year I'm getting the Stand. I'm like, how is like two good TV shows happened in two? Yeah. Years? Well, Doom Patrol three. Oh yeah, uh, Doom Patrol. The middle of the season has TV problem for me. Hi Jen. Hi guys. Oh, it's Don. You're back. <laughs> oh, Don. <laughs> Don, this isn't an ASMR show. Uh. Uh. uh John's wife Jen is eating chips into the mic, but the sound on his mic is hi, Jen. Uh, we have fun. We're going to do a podcast around oh. the same time tomorrow. Uh, we're going to talk about Hunter Hunter. 
things uh, uh hunter hunter a movie meryl streep would not like <laughs> i get but, a feeling but, but i was just saying don't tell him yeah. anything he comes in blind <laughs> but the, yeah i i cannot anybody who's a fan of the stand like the 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 I am so kind of blown away at how solid it has been. And also like, it's crazy. Like the casting is out of this world. And that kid playing Harold is just it's good. like, really? it's good. Yeah, I, might have I, to, I, I might have to get CBS then. The, that's, we, the... we, we have agreed as a family to buy it for 11 weeks and then discard it. <laughs> I, had, I had a talk with a Kinghead fan, a uh, friend of mine. He's got a wonderful uh, YouTube uh, feed, Ranking King, where he's going through all of the books and uh, reviewing them. Daniel Davis ranks. Um, and I think he um, he told me he's waiting until the entire series is done and then he's going to order CBS All Access for a weekend. Oh, there you <laughs> and go. And just take it down to one shot. He's doing it the smarter run, though. I was serious what he thought of it. We're also banking on them selling a Blu-ray of it once it's done. So it's like, we'll get CBS until we can just have it forever mm. and then that yeah. will happen. Yeah, I, I've, been, um, I've been very entertained by it. I will say, like, yeah, because no. I got... In my I, review. Uh, I, cause like, I, I, I read the book like in high school and I love, I've read The Stand probably like uh, 20. It's like the, the book I've read the second most in my life behind uh, Jurassic Park. That's like my one and two. Ooh, uh, you're I just love... describing all both books I read in eighth grade. Oh yeah, yeah me oh, too. totally. Yeah, yeah, no, that's like, that's like, yeah. My, my, my taste did not change until that's, I went uh, to college. Oh, it's, it's uh, those are, those are real seminal book kid books. Oh, mm-hmm. big time. Yeah, yeah. When you're like a book boy, that's like, that's your coming of age. Stand is a real like book boy moment. Like you put that on the chart and go, oh, that's yep. that's thirteen hundred pages that I just put down. Yeah, my my first thousand plus page book, I can believe. Yep. Oh yeah, because it's like for me, it was like yeah, you read Jurassic Park and then you look for another Crichton book, then you read Terminal Man, it scares you, and oh, then you go to, and then you, you go went, and then you what go a to... wild second pick. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, you gotta go Congo too if you're that age. You I still haven't Congo. read Congo, and I Congo keep thinking about it. Congo like, think... is nuts. It's a goodie. It's a goodie. I, I believe Sphere was my second, which was again Ooh, a wild choice. Yeah. Again, a movie that that young Kyle was so hyped for, and then uh, like got through it and was like, I don't. That was one of those early times. Where I'm like, I don't think. I like the movie I just went yeah. and saw. And this has never happened before. See, that was me with Timeline. I loved. I was. I loved the book oh, Timeline. You're now just. Now you're just my parents. Both of my <laughs> parents loved that book and were so bummed by that movie. It's like Paul Walker. That's you, Gerard. A young Gerard Butler. Me is like a seven-year-old or not seven, like a twelve-year-old being a young Gerard Butler. There's <laughs> a lost '90s genre though of the um, King. I think it's the only one left. Yeah. Of the. Uh, best-selling novelist who cranks them out who yeah. you see the movie like i mean like the grishams the Crichtons the of Patterson's, the world yeah you know it, it would be nice to see those authors well you get uh alex cross is probably like the closest you get to mm-hmm. it in like a modern parlance yeah, yeah. I, I just wish but again that's like the firm is one of the ultimate 50 million dollar Oh, truly. Uh, mid-range I mean, movies that it, doesn't it, get made it, anymore. It, well, it's, that's the crazy thing about John Grisham when you think about it is like every movie you could ever make for John Grisham like can only be made between 30 and $60 million. Yeah. Which is and, truly Hollywood's blind area now. So they just can't do a Grisham. Yeah. And The Firm was a blockbuster so in was its the time period. Oh, yeah. yeah it's The Client, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Pelican Brief. Did he I do a time Pelican to kill Brief too? In the th- yeah. Yeah, he did. I, I have a fun moment about a Pelican, Pelican Brief that will always have a special place in my heart. A million years ago, I played a terrible gig in Westwood, California, where UCLA is. 
and uh, we were uh, doing stand up in a bar and it was the day midterms ended at UCLA. And oh. so there is 200 plus people in this bar, none of whom came to see a comedy show. <laughs> so we are being uh, rightfully ignored. Uh, and about, I don't know, five minutes into my set when I realized that like my jokes about craft work were not for this room. Uh, I realized, look, I've learned a lot of lessons about what jokes can be about. Uh, and craft work is often not one of them. Uh, but I realized no one was going to listen. So I, there were two stands on the stage because they were just bar stools. So I put one on the other and spun them around for a while and just made noises. And then I realized we were performing in front of a bookshelf and directly in front of me was the Pelican Brief. So I then put the stools back down, sat on the stool and read the first chapter mm -hmm. of the Pelican Brief until I was allowed to get off stage. <laughs> Nice, nice. And it was a page Dark turner. Strong. You took it off and it's, you worked right down and I, I, kept by the end of it, it was like, God, he really, I get it. I get this. I get yeah. the appeal. I read all of them. That was in eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade. I was. I fell into the Palinia cult too fast um, before I got into those. I was hooked on lawyers running. Um, <laughs> I, was a, I was a little. I was a little Crichton boy. Uh, yeah. Eaters oh, of the dead prey. Uh, the really you... praise great. I genuinely oh, pray love pray. Praise that... the one I can't believe it's not a movie. That's the last good because then after that he did State of Fear and then he did okay. Do you guys know the how... Pirate Latitudes is pretty good though. I he also started Latitudes. questioning climate science. Yeah, that's look, the one. Look, look, State of Fear is the thing we just choose not to talk about. <laughs> no. we, uh, we instead pretend we think you're talking about Airframe. Yeah. Oh, Airframe bops. We should, they need to fucking make an airframe movie. Patrick, I might have to have you on my show. I've been looking for a, for a Michael Crichton person for quite some time to have this exact Sounds conversation. Like Patrick might be your I man, think you though. might have to come on This Is Rad and talk Crichton because I could do this for hours. Oh my God, that whole thing. It's like, who? how'd this plane crash? And then they get the lady in there and like they do the test. It's like, this is why the plane didn't crash. And she like, she's throwing up in her hand. Uh, so good. So good. The way that they describe all the engineers as like weird baby men, it's so. Ah, oh, he's, uh, he's the jam. I love that. The other giant, weird, uh, insane man. The other one that is truly wonderful is is disclosure. Um, Michael Douglas gets sexually harassed by <laughs> Debbie Moore. Look, <laughs> at a certain point, Michael Douglas is just going like, "No, guys, but what if we tried to do this?" And everyone's yeah. like, "That's horrifying, Michael Douglas." No, and he's like, "But I bet it'll work." And that's one of the handful of times where he wasn't one hundred percent correct. <laughs> he was a genre unto himself, as we yeah. all know, in the late eighties and into the mid nineties. Yeah, um, either being cucked or cucking yes. was kind of his uh, Cuck the or cucking is actually his yeah. license plate for most yeah. of the 80s. Yeah. His entire genre of film. C-K-R-C-K. He, he was the two-face of that generation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is he an <laughs> upwardly mobile 45-year-old man with slicked back hair? Yes. Is he a target? For dangerous women just yes. yeah walking into a bar <laughs> what are you expecting as far as dangerous women when you walk into a bar and go hey girl how would you like to give me some cancer yeah i know <laughs> oh yes what a wonderful thing okay we got we got, a I think, um, we, got we got ffj now on yeah. that note i think you know uh really a clear parallel from that story into florence foster <laughs> i mean florence you know she's dealing with her own sexually transmitted disease oh, so um you know and real but, you know, as we jump into it, this was Patrick and I's second time through on Florence Foster, Kyle's first, I believe. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to jump in here, and I found it much more tragic yeah. the second time through. Like, 
it was very sad to me. Oh, yeah. Well, and the thing, too, is, uh, you know, I wasn't entirely sure about this when I first watched it, but in the second time watching it, this movie is so much less. I think, like, people will go in, and the mistake is to view uh, Florence Foster Jenkins as, like, a Don Quixote or a Tommy Wiseau, and she is, like, not that. I think it's, like, almost, like, a more depressing, like, I feel like the closest parallel to her character is almost, like, a... uh, like, this would be weird, like a Michael Jackson where it's like trying to get that like past that she never got, like that life that she mm, thought that she was on track for that she never could get. Because I think she is like aware. Uh, I think she's like deep in, like she wants to blarp, like she wants to be in this world. But I do think she is like, I don't think she's just like a coconut that's like, uh, like I'm the best singer in all of opera. I think there is like, and you, and you see Th- like that's that. That's the easiest, laziest read someone can bring to it. No, like, oh, you're complaining is like this person who lives in this world. I'm like, oh, you're missing everything about this movie. Oh, hundred percent. Like especially like the Cosma. Oh my god. By the way, the key Sam- scene. The key scene is the one with her and Cosma when she goes to visit him. Yeah. At his place, I and think. By the, and, and by the way, like Simon uh, Helberg, I think, yeah, he is so, it's like, it's like if a, a, a feather was granted life. Like, it's <laughs> Look, like, it's like a, a magic, a magic, a magic uh, frog. Uh, if you don't like Pixar characters to come to life and stop <laughs> wishing for it. It's so, I don't know. He feels like he is like Woody's cousin. Oh, he slaps. It rules. He is like, like yeah, it's so light. I didn't realize until about halfway through the movie that it was that guy and then was kind of like, Oh, that's kind of fun. Like, like he, it's weird. Cause it is such a triptych of a movie too. It is three mm-hmm. people giving really solid performances. Oh, like yeah. it, who, if, if any of the three of them does not commit with all of their body and soul, that movie is an unwatchable mess. And instead it is an endearing despite itself. It has to, out of these three, this has got to be three of the most ambiguous characters. Yes. In, in a relatively mainstream movie. Which I think is why I like it. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's, it's like, even this time around, Jen walked in and she was like, what is Florence and uh, St. Clair's deal? And I was like, it's kind of there, but it's also kind, kind of mysterious, I, it, I, you know? think they kind of spell that out to you in that shot where where she after Carnegie Hall when she's laying in bed and he's Mm -hmm. fully clothed above the sheet on top of her holding him as she's touching his face that like you're getting this visual of like what their intimacy is Mm -hmm. in that moment in one of those just kind of like beautiful like like we're telling you everything and there's no words in this scene yeah and I think in his reaction to her at the end just in general but it's so interesting how close, how tightly they play it. Like, yeah, you're really not sure if he's even a grifter uh, yes. for quite an extensive period of the movie. It's and a it's- bold thing the movie does too, without having to hang a hat on it and make it feel sinister. You just naturally have this predilection of just like, well, this guy can't just be this. There has to be an angle, yeah. right? Yeah, it's interesting too because uh, Stephen Frears, like I, I watched an interview and he's like. Uh, the, when he he read the script and he didn't know that much about the character and so like he watched like YouTube videos of Florence. You can like watch like if you go on YouTube, you can search Florence Foster Jenkins and they. It's not like videos of her, but like it's it's like you know the it's songs the audio or pieces and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and he was like, uh, you know, this is funny, but also like it's super courageous what she's doing, 
And if we're doing this, like one thing, like he, he talked to like Meryl Streep about this. And one thing they both agreed on is like, she can't be like the butt of the joke yeah. in yeah. the movie. And I think that like also paints Hugh Grant's performance. In, and it's like, it's so, it's probably like, I can't think of a Hugh Grant performance I like more than- Me, uh, me This is a masterpiece yeah. thing. Like, like he, he is, I mean, that's kind of the wild thing. This movie's called Florence Foster Jenkins. It stars Meryl Streep, but this is a, a Hugh Grant vehicle. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, and, and it's wild that you're, you're a fair chunk into the movie before you really realize like that's, he's your guide into this. Yeah, he is like, it's so funny. He is like the, the Gatsby, he's our Stingo. That is so weird. Oh, he's a bit of a Stingo. He is like our Stingo, but he's like, man, he's a hell of a Stingo, though. He's, he's good- way more dynamic than the real Stingo. Yeah. Uh, Stingo's from Sophie's Choice, Kyle, if you're not okay. aware. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I assume based on your reference that I was like, okay, it's going to be Nick Carraway adjacent is what we're yeah, talking and that about. Would oh, yeah. Be, yeah, that would be Stingo and Sophie's Choice. But I think he has, what I like is that each of the three are given an arc yes. throughout the film. Like you're, I think Kyle, you're absolutely right that this is like a uh, a three lead movie yes. almost, despite being uh, having a title character. Um, it's, it's it's oh sorry, god. Oh no, I was just kind of it's it's a very. I think yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about it the first time we reviewed it, but I think you think this movie is going to be incredibly stuffy, yes. oh, yeah. bait. Oh yeah, you think well it's like also like it even has like Danny Cohen as like the cinematographer and so in your head you think Danny Cohen oh it's gonna be like Tom Hooper. This is gonna be a Tom Hooper joint. It's uh, I'm watching King's speech again. Oh great. And like, and it's super not like he does no. so many things with the visuals, like he he lets the camera move just enough to support how airy the film is. And and the more I think about it, and the more I'm I watching it and kind of you know, critically running through my head for the show as I'm watching, like it is a very dark movie that is also inherently both absurd and sad. And yet at the same time, the whole movie is bubbly in a way. And like that, I feel like Frears along with everybody else working on this movie sh- will never get the credit they deserve for how difficult this movie is to make work. And the fact that it feels effortless really undercuts how hard of a movie it is. <laughs> What's insane too is this movie's budget is less than thirty. It's twenty nine million dollars. Oh, we haven't oh, even shit. done. We have not even done stats. We are so oh, excited to get it. Why? Florence. All right, let's put a pause. We're in it, but let's get into stats. Directed by Stephen Frears, who we will get to, but I I think he deserves quite a bit of praise. Oh, in absolutely. Conversation. Um, yes, it budgeted twenty nine million, and I think the 29 million is on screen. I think that you could see some of the areas. I mean, they're trying to make a period piece. Oh, yes. on 29 set, million. Set costuming design is excellent. Uh, it made uh, 56 million. Yeah. All right. At oh, the man. box office. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score is an 87%. That's higher Forrest, than I expected. That Forrest makes Foster me Jenkins makes poignant crowd pleasing dramedy out of the stranger than fiction tale and does it subject justice with a reliably terrific star turn from Meryl Streep, because it received two Academy Award nominations, one for Best Costume Design and the other, of course, for Best Actress for Meryl Streep. The the other thing is like, because I remember when this movie came out that the general sentiment was like, oh, cool. It's a movie about like a rich lady that like everybody makes her feel good about herself, even though she's bad. And mm-hmm. that's so such a like 
that that's that is one of the best cases of like oh i didn't watch the movie but let me go ahead and pronounce everything about a thing that i have no reference point for whatsoever but i sure just learned florence foster jenkins exists so let me denounce that as well <laughs> like and and i think that like I, I get those criticisms because I had those same thoughts when the movie came out and really watching it and going like, oh, this the the feeling I have thinking that the movie is well aware that that is the preconceived notions you're coming into in this movie. And within the first 15 minutes does everything it can to disarm all of that and, you know, really subtly and beautifully in a way that like, God, I was impressed by it, it goes like, oh, this is this is this is not. Oh, we got to protect this person. This is this is about a much more complicated series of emotions that really only work once all three characters are operating off each other. And it is, I mean, I'm a sucker at the end of the day because I love movies about friendship. It's my favorite kind of movie, but like, and this movie is about people who are friends and everything else in it is kind of, it could, this could be a movie about poker or fucking, it could be beer fest. Like it could have any plot. It's at the core of it. It is a character study of three people and how they're, interweaving dependence on each other is built around the fact that they are all without each other tragic alone figures who mean nothing that are able to build a family and a life out of themselves out of these weird you know circumstances, circumstances. Yeah. Mm. it's a beaut it, because they are all three i mean it's odd because i mean you look at the poster i think you think she's a weirdo and they're the guys like oh my god we got to keep her under control <laughs> but this is this is about three outsiders yeah and and it's about yeah. outsider art without having to be about outsider art you look at this movie and go like oh yeah this is daniel johnston this is wesley willis like this yeah. is this is lydia lunch there is that layer of like not lydia lunch thinks about her stuff a little bit more but like it has that same quality as like a daniel johnston where like is it something you're going to put on and a man with a ponytail is going to stand up and go that is a number one hit record no is it something where like oh there's something inherently weird about this that I'm going to think about for days on end and then have to go hunt down the record of absolutely it's almost kind of like one of the original origins of that as a concept in American art mm -hmm. and I think um you know like Mamma Mia actually uh there's a sincerity yeah to yes, them like absolutely and Freer's setting Has, the tone that this is not a joke have you found like, that sincerity is almost kind of like the kind of secret sauce to everything she does um yeah i mean and being her she's always very present yes too like there is nothing inauthentic about what she does either yeah and it never seems at least in the films that we've watched like it never seems like she's checking out or like even something like devil wears prada which could be the most throwaway role and instead she turns oh. into this very earnest and funny performance it's so <laughs> frankly devil wears prada has a strong chance of winning this entire i, I would be tournament. super comfortable yeah. with that i would not go like all right the academy academy is doing the lord's work yeah it's like that's one of those movies too where you watch the lord it is on letterbox oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like you watch it and it's like no the performance only gets richer and mm -hmm. I think that, and I think I had that same feeling with Florence. Yeah, and like, absolutely. And, and, and if and if anything, like it's so funny because like I think about like the flaw, like there's only like a few flaws in the movie I would argue, and a lot of it just stems from like yeah the small budget, like they're definitely, and it's also like the film was filmed in like Liverpool. Like, yeah. And, and so it's like yeah, and it's so funny because like you can get that you get that sense of like yeah it's like not quite New York, and then like it's so funny. I feel like you can tell when like an English a film is filmed in England but set in America. Because, like, all the English extras are so, like, I'll have an applesauce, please. Like, they're just, like, so, like, it's, I feel like it's so over the top and, like, 
they, they're, they're so like American. It's like, oh, hot dogs, uh, the apple pie. Like, it's just, it's very like hard. Another one of the most brilliant surreal qualities of Eyes Wide Shut. By the way, a man who weaponized it and America and England were like, yes, we've already said whatever you want. Yeah. Oh. Already- you want to make a weird cult porno? You go right ahead, you crazy mm-hmm. bastard. I've never seen Eyes Wide Shut. To me, Eyes Wide Shut. It's for the just- real heads. It's for the real I've heads, actually never man. seen it in its entirety. It's one of those things I need to rectify. Yeah. I saw it on. I've written too uh, many parodies of the orgy scene to have not seen the whole movie. <laughs> I saw it on my, uh, the, what is it, is 17? Hey, when you get into R-rated movies? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I saw it came out on my 17th birthday. I Beautiful. went and saw it by myself oh, with my damn. with my uh, right to see too. and I loved every. I went and bought the soundtrack at Tower Records Great right soundtrack. afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I think the first but, 17, uh, the first R-rated movie I saw was Borat, so that's where my nice. head was. <laughs> I believe mine was the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, Ooh, that's a good thing. I saw both of those in the theater, but it was after I turned 17. Um, We've established our age range. Age ranges. I think that, like, what am I, I love, you know, and, you know, to get back to the sets, though, it's like they, they had the, the Carnegie Hall set. Yeah. They had the, um, her apartment, like the- and they had Hugh Grant's, like, bachelor pad yeah. apartment. Oh, yeah. And they really used the hell out of those sets oh, in a really yeah. nice way. And I, in particular, that party scene. It's got Damn. so much life to it when they do when they start dancing and stuff like that. It just oh, yeah. there's yeah, a real like it's phenomenal. It's kind of what we were talking about though, what kind of a, what a musical can do within cinema of like really adding this like vibrant pulse to things. And the the gal um, Nina, I don't know Arianda who plays oh, yeah, the, Arianda, the sh- yeah. who plays the blonde showgirl. Mm-hmm. I just thought she was terrific. Oh, yeah, she's she's time great. around too. She's so good in, uh, was it Stan and Ollie too? She must have like an English connection somehow. Like she must like. She have... feels like real, like, like English theater, like, like just, just, she is perpetually on the West End working on something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. In between yeah. like, yeah. In between like uh, Shakespeare or whatever she's doing. Yeah. Like uh, and appearances on skins or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm glad we both went to the same joke. <laughs> we pulled into our BBC reference bucket yeah. and we pulled out two perfectly uh, solid examples of what yeah. this is. Uh, Law and Order UK. I think that um, they found a completely surprising and off-kilter way into this story and held the tone all the way through which is a real testament to the the main creative team it surprised me how much it felt like you would an amazing double feature would be this and ed wood oh yeah Yeah. oh man and they have very similar energy and so like that's the thing is i feel like if you go into this movie and go like rich lady everyone protects boo but if you go into it like oh it's it's a, a a female version of ed wood i feel like is a much more apt way to kind of like wrestle with what this movie's doing it's actually almost shocking that uh uh scott and larry of of that and dolomite and the opposite uh, of uh, yeah, the, the other half of karazuski karazuski and alexander would be their last names but um but they didn't write this movie yeah it, it, like, it, it feels, feels like, like one of their films 100 yeah yeah 
Like yeah. again, this and Dolomite, same thing. You could put uh, both Dolomite together. Would be so good, yeah. Because I feel like Dolomite even. Dolomite's has... weird because it was my number three when that that year. But like, part of me is like, I wish I could just have three number ones because I feel like last year my top three were all just like movies that would have won the decade in other times. Last year was a, a really. It's gonna go down in history. It's a very a like, very major year. Of all time. Yeah, and it's weird because of COVID and the whole. Let's move everything to HBO Max. Oh, stuff yeah. it also feels like was that it because it like all of these major filmmakers are hitting this like hey if i get dole my little women run. and dr sleep and they shut movies down i'm like well, that's a solid run to end on <laughs> i it's there was i would say 15 to 20 movies that came yeah. out last year that yeah. are minimum noteworthy yes it, it was it, by the end of the year i was kind of just i kept looking around going like this is insane. This is the most I've gone to a movie theater ever. Now, I mean, some of that too was like, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Not go see cats. <laughs> I missed cats. I missed cats. And until we have to review some actor who was in cats for our show, probably will not be seeing cats. Oh, but, uh, maybe, maybe Wilson maybe series is going to be pretty competitive. Ian, maybe season two, Ian McKellen. Yeah. Oh. Oh, and if you had the Ian McKellen is the reason to see that movie. Yeah, that's the thing. We would have to do it. We would have to do cats if we were <laughs> Because well, like him drinking out of a giant saucer of milk as as an 80-year-old man, there was that was the point where you're the greatest actor of all time. Like you're you have zero vanity, you have zero ego, you are truly the highest thing that actors can attempt to attain Ian McKellen because after everything you've done, you're like, let me drink of from a giant saucer of milk and go meow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's, oh that, my that goodness. Is, that is brain breaking. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I feel like my, just, just hearing your synopsis is broken. My brain. I, I, a friend and I, for his podcast, we were doing for his Patreon. We were doing a run. We were calling mechanical animals. It was all CGI animal movies. And we only got to do three before the world turned off, but we did cats, Doolittle, and call of the wild. Oh, and it was God. fun. Cause three for three, I went into shit on things and came out kind of liking them. <laughs> Doolittle's the worst of the three by yeah, a wide margin. Call the Wild is a movie I feel like gets an unfair shake because it's actually kind of good. Uh, I I will say I, I've watched I watched uh, I did watch um, like you guys know like Bugman or whatever. Oh yes, yeah, oh yeah. The the notor the notorious Bugman. He did a, a, a you know one of his classic bug screenings of Doolittle with like the you know like he he changed the sound and stuff so he wouldn't get caught on Twitch or whatever. Like he kind of like you know changed like the the coloring and stuff to a little bit, uh, but. Uh, well, I was watching that with like the Bugman commentary, and that was just kind of like I am, like I'm just I'm I'm like in Neon Genesis Evangelion, just turning into <laughs> turning into a red puddle, becoming one with the universe. <laughs> it, it, I was kind of concerned that would happen to me as we were watching it, like just because that that the trailer for it was in front of everything and that was the height of me going to movies and so i just i saw that that trailer so many times and it made me physically uncomfortable every time i saw it so i think i had to go to face like some weird fear and get like cathartic closure or i was just going to be thinking too much about doolittle the rest of my days oh my goodness oh my goodness um so we should probably get yeah. down to uh meryl streep in particular in florence foster jenkins before we move past <laughs> the movie um because we've we've danced around her i mean her I role think, as hugh grant is great yeah hugh grant is wonderful in the film uh, you know i was thinking though with this one is what i found interesting is that i i think another off-putting thing is this felt like 
based on the poster and the description, kind of a paint by numbers Meryl Streep role. Like Patrick, you've mentioned like Iron Lady was created in a lab for her Canon Academy Award. Totally. That's so accurate. Grown in a petri dish. Like, yeah. There are other versions of Margaret Thatcher sitting in a lab (laughs) that she burns with a flamethrower. Oh yeah, no, it's like alien resurrection. There's like a streep, like I, I think Shut though that down England. this one feels before you see it that could be argued in the same vein that this one was kind of like, oh, it's built. I wrote her. it off that way when it came out. Yeah. Oh, same, same. But as we've kind of described, this is this movie is a has is a lot more going on just right under the surface. And I think in, that includes her performance. Because I think that it this one is another one of those ones where it seems like what she's doing is easy that she's kind yeah. of breezily going through it. It really isn't because she's doing a lot, like almost like Miranda in Devil Wears Prada. She's doing a lot with her eyes and her face and kind oh, of yeah. subtly understanding what's going on. Kind of, I think you hit it on the head earlier with kind of Florence's under, being far more understanding of what's going on around her than you would think she she's tapping into is. her age in this movie in a way that I think is really like, I don't want to use the word brave because that sounds terrible, but like is really interesting and bold in that. Like we've all had those relationships with older people in our lives where like you think they don't know what's going on, but they do. And instead they are carrying the weight of like allowing themselves off to the side, even though like they like, like allowing other people to care for them with the ignorance that they are not ignorant. And I think like mm-hmm. that is not a type of performance you get to see a lot. And I think it's a real like cherry opportunity when a person does get to do this. Like, and I think that like there, you know, some actors as they get older really get to dip into this. I think like you saw, like Peter Fonda's done this a couple of times in pieces. And, and mm-hmm. I think that like, this is maybe one of, if not the best version of that, that is not played for actively played for laughs. Cause it's funny, but it's funny in a real human way. But in that, like, she is really playing into so many tools as an actor that you can only use when you get to a certain age and have a certain level of like life experience. And I think that when you watch the movie, you know, it is a movie that for a movie that seems like a fluff piece is something that like, I will probably end up rewatching at some point because I'm so taken aback on my first watch with Hugh Grant, just because I haven't seen him in a while. And he's really doing a lot of really interesting stuff there. And he's kind of coming into this nice character actor thing, but like there's so many little pieces of stuff with her, that you could just watch her in scenes. Like I say this with John C. Riley and a lot of things is like, there's a second movie who just watched this one actor because they're doing so much stuff that you're not supposed to be looking at. And then when you look at it, like, oh, I subconsciously visually am taking in information this actor is giving me that they're not even hanging a hat on. And there is a level of like egoless confidence that you only get in Meryl Streep or John C. Riley because they're incredible actors who like aren't worried about what people will think of them in a performance, they're purely operating on art form. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think. Wow, that sums a lot of it up. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I was going to say something dumb, like it just the just the fact that like how she projects how Florence's genuine love of music. Yeah, which could also be a joke. Could also be this rich lady. Oh, of course, I'm a, I, I'm an opera singer now. I feel like being an opera singer. Um, she truly loves and wants to be a part of music, and she is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it almost like when you don't have a gift for something, but yeah. you love it so much yeah. that you're still gonna like give it a go because you believe in it, and it's a real. It's hard to relate to because living in Los Angeles, you don't really see those people around ever. 
Well, they're not going to show you at least. Uh, oh, I mean, I feel like I've seen them pretty regularly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it's a stand-up comedian. <laughs> yeah. Well, the tragic thing too about her character too, and I think this comes across as she had that talent, but then it was taken away from her yeah. by the by syphilis. Jenkins. Yeah. It also very much reminds, and I, and I, it's funny you say that about the music thing because the other thing that I really love about this, like I I did music before I got into comedy or any of the other art stuff, and that was who I was for such a long time, and I have a real passion for it. But but one of the things that I really have found interesting is like it is way harder to in a movie convey the concept of loving music without mm. it being garbage. Yeah, like and I think that's why like when a movie like almost famous comes out and really is able to like create like like create a wordless sentiment about american rock music in a way that like nobody was able to articulate until russell or, or, or i want to tell him russell Crowe, cameron crow does it but and like i think like alan parker does really well in the commitments i think that like there are movies across time that play with that i think part of me kind of wanted that to be again going back to ricky and the flash like because demi has so much of that in his stuff and like outside of his concert work stuff, I don't think ever quite got the movie. Like, like I think it's why I like Rachel getting married so much is because it's the closest he gets to melding narrative and music in an emotional way where it's, it's present and not just like decoration. Mm -hmm. And I think that like this movie totally shocked me with how much it from jump is about someone who loves music and will do just wants to be a part of it. And I think like every person alive can relate to the idea of wanting to be a part of something that you can't be a part of and how that almost makes it into this like godlike figure. And for her, like the ability to do these things like play Carnegie Hall is this godlike thing. So she sort of ascends at that point in this movie and you really don't put that together until you're watching the movie and see like, oh, it does matter. Like this is just, it was there and it existed and these things go. And whether there's a laugh or whether there's embarrassment, at a certain point, she's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. And I think that that's a very beautiful sentiment that mm -hmm. it does not get explored a lot in American cinema because we're just like, that's bullshit. We got to win. Yeah. If you don't yeah, win, you're dead. Extraordinary triumph. Or if, it, if, it, if it does loss. then with her winning best singer in the world forever, yeah. then what was this even movie about? Yeah. And I think that it's a very British sentiment. Sent sent yeah. yeah. Well, this movie is it just isn't operating in that place. Yeah. At all. It's not really about that kind of triumph. It's about joy. Really, yeah. And living a life, even if it's imperfect, to the best way possible yeah, and, I mean, and kind of following it. Things aren't, yeah. when you're happy, things aren't perfect. You know, you're you're happy in the moments where it's, you know, I'll, I'll get all cosmic, you know, where the where the universe sort of lines up and you just have those little moments where you look around, regardless of what's happening, just like, fuck, yeah. And like that to me is so much of like, like, this is just three people looking to just have some some fuck yeah moments as the anxiety of their their ever present failings chase after them. They're just trying to stay a little bit ahead and have some sort of happiness instead of being crushed by life. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, there's so many like little things like I keep thinking about the part where Hugh Grant is like rattling off plays. Yeah. And he, he's like, of course, I never played any of them. Like, yeah, he, you know, he, yeah, he's like, he can't get the, you know. I never even, did play that lead. Yeah. Role. Yeah. Because in even him, I mean, he seems out of the three to have it together 
in the theory, most, and the he's most. the least living his dream. He yeah. he is ultimately the person who's just facilitating other people's dreams and having to find the joy in that that he couldn't get out of his main focus, which is kind of at the end of the day like a very real thing. Like that's mm-hmm. you know in every art form, there are those people who have to exist even more so than the artist. And I I think it's it's interesting like. We talked a little bit about, and Stephen Frears, of course, directed The Grifters, but that um, yeah. Hugh Grant, it seems like at the top of it, he's a grifter, even the part where he's like, Cosme, I think of you as a chum. Yeah. You're like, is he using Cosme now? But no, he, he, I, he, I don't, I think he's being honest. Oh, yeah. In it's... every single thing he says. And I think he genuinely cares about seeing the people he cares about have these moments. It's a thing that drives me crazy in modern media is you can't have people be decent people anymore is like you can't have someone do something like kind for someone else because it's like no but their real plan is they're gonna eat them like it's (laughs) it's and i think that like that's this movie knows you're gonna think that and and so it's it's waiting it's the same reason i love boyhood and people don't like boyhood when they don't like it is like they're waiting for the bad thing to happen instead of just realizing oh it's just being alive this is just about being alive this is this is obviously a pro boyhood Podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're little, like, we're, we're su- boy boys. Surprise! 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 Richard Linklater is a hero of the show. So, but uh, um, he's, he's my guy. Also, I'm from like Houston, Texas. That movie like especially like hits home for me. Like it's like oh, I like know people exactly like the the pe- pe- dad one and dad two. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I've been 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 plenty name dropping this. So I'll throw one more out. Uh, the first time I truly fell in love with a man was with Ethan Hawke. We were interviewing back in the nerds days for boyhood. And like, I, I have a big fan of that guy. He's in a lot of movies I love. Yeah. And, and I, and he was pretty friendly. And so I was, was chatting with him after the thing. And I was like, Hey man, I got to tell you like the scene where he's playing the Wilco song for his kid and explaining why it's a good song and what makes a good country song. Like that was my dad playing the grateful dead for me. And it like, broke me in that scene and and he put his hand on my shoulder and said it was willie nelson for me and my dad and then as he's Holy leaving the room shit. he pointed at me and went i hate it here and sang the fucking wilco song and i was like all right well now i'm in love uh, forever what a king man oh like, my truly God. like the greatest move and just wow. like i was just like oh God that's cool damn. You that can't cool. be this. You are that cool guy. Like yeah. you are a Richard Linklater <laughs> character. Yeah, yeah that, that's like some oh. Goku shit. That's wild. Just, I, just I, and out. Like just such a perfect moment. I just read the Dazed and Confused uh, oral history book. I just that put just that on my hit. wish list today on it Amazon. Is, it is absolutely masterful, and it's such a ride. But they, they at the end of it, all of the guys in there, they all think that they've made this like lifelong. We're gonna be. Linklater's De Niro. Oh, interesting. And all of them go, and then he cast Ethan in before sunrise. Yeah. And that was it. Mm. It turned out it was Ethan. And he wasn't even one of us at all. <laughs> and, and and they're like, and you could see it, you could hear it, like even in the written text, this idea of like, boy, in another world, it could I could have rode with this guy the rest if of the it, way. If it makes the, the all them feel better, I hope, was the moment where Ethan Hawke woke up and saw a picture of Jack Black and said, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, McC- McConaughey's done a handful of yep. things later, though. I mean, I say, like, I, yeah. I would say, that makes me hungry for a McConaughey before it's like, what would that been like? A McConaughey sunset. They just <laughs> fuck for two hours yeah. in a yeah. dirty hotel. <laughs> Like it's a totally different movie because he is not a let's walk around and talk. He is a, you want to go get fingered somewhere because it would have been a lot closer. Everybody wants some. 
Yeah. <laughs> just in general. A movie but, that every time I watch uh, moves a little further up my top movies of all time list at a real dangerous pace. <laughs> it's so good. And I, I, Link Laters, I mean, we can, we could do, we probably move on, but like, we, we could do a whole five hours on this. It's this vibe of like these, this particular handful of movies though for him that I think just like seem to have summed up the American youthful into yes. adulthood experience. Like, so you got Slacker, Dazed, the Before Trilogy, Waking Life, Boyhood, and Everybody Wants Some are just this perfect... Suburbia, like, I, I, I think, falls I, yeah. in there too. I, I mean, I like a lot of his other movies, but those ones, for Agreed. some reason, are just the ones. They have and... the magic in them. Like I like basically, I think, every movie I've ever seen that he's made. He's one of yeah. the ones I'm working for. Got to get some going. I, I don't have I, a hot take on tape yet. Yeah, I will say I had my, my favorite movie like uh, and uh, up until like my early 20s was A Scanner Darkly. I fucking mm. oh, love I would consider putting that in that group. I, w- I could see yeah. that too. Like, yeah. It's a great ensemble. Too. Like, you're never going to get that cast together again. Does Dead Bernie already? almost yeah. kind of fill that as well? Ooh, like, yeah. for Bernie's that kind so of like good. lost lost in your late 20s, early 30s, like, who am I kind of things. Yeah. Keanu Reeves should have worked with him more also yeah. bernie yep. is the best texas film like that yeah. movie like gets texas down to a t- it's, it's funny every time i talk to someone from texas because i'm always like hey you're from texas so let's talk about richard linkladder i've cornered you uh <laughs> and, and they're always like that fucking scene where they talk about the map of texas is the most accurate thing i've ever seen yep a hundred percent it's like yeah uh, that's real as hell okay we gotta, i'd like to see uh street work with him too let's get to our ratings um as we all know we are 13 episodes oh, in, so let's Trish get into Arquette it. Together with him, yeah. like yeah. Like, a, like a Thelma and Louise <laughs> Linkladder style with the two of them would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Streep, a uh, few years younger, would have been a wonderful in uh, the Where'd You Go yeah. as well, Ooh, yeah. but, which I, I think is underrated. But um, weird, but underrated. Have not um, seen yet, got to do. Yeah. I, I, I cried at an airport watching it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But uh, that was with Julie and Julia. I cried on a plane yeah. watching that movie. I, uh, well, I we, we the ultimate we, plane film. We declared earlier, yes, it is the ultimate plane film. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. that is where I saw it, and, yeah. and I was like, at this at this many feet above the ground, this is one of the finest movies. <laughs> um, but we're 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 getting to the rating here. Uh, we've mentioned it many times before. We, this is performance based only. Has nothing to do with the quality of the film. R.I.P defending your life um may i ask a question yes that i am genuinely curious about about the nature of this show as far okay. as my voting goes let's see if we can answer it I- is it fair or or should i disregard that that like if i think one of these could be more competitive in another round hmm. i think we should try to look at it just in the case by case. Okay, I was, was curious about that because there, there's there's a layer of it that's like, uh, you guys start going and I'll and I'll, I'll ruminate. Well, and I'll no, I mean we kind of talked about in the last episode just kind of this idea of like we kind of want like I know Patrick and I at least really really wanted Death Becomes yeah. Her to uh, upset Devil Wears Prada just for the sake of like oh that would be neat to see Death Becomes Her in the final four going against Sophie's is choice. So- I was about to say like Sophie's that. still in here because yeah. it, it feels like it's ultimately going to be a mortal lock between Sophie's choice and the Devil Wears Prada which is like, they are playing each other in the semifinals. That's going to be a fucking bloodbath. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. 
we uh we've we've got a guest in mind who we think is a real wild card we're hoping oh, and good, uh, like, that's <laughs> gonna be, to mix it up that's yeah. gonna be some must-see pod tv oh yeah um, but yes yeah, so performance based just taking a look at it now but everyone's favorite part of the show we're going to give out this the, the uh, tucci's first off for these oh, two yeah. films um you know i'll start it off real quick because i got it right off the top of the head i'm gonna give it to our man and simon helberg this uh, week oh, okay. uh, so good. i think his performance is cosme mcmoon it's just delightful it's weird it's ambiguous it's soulful i'm into it He's and great. uh it's a real surprise i mean i think you could obviously go hugh grant who frankly he was I gonna was be my choice and i've changed snubbed for an actual academy award nomination yes. for Honestly. best supporting actor for this film i think he was i don't remember who was nominated this year but uh he's damn good and it's a real winning performance but i, I do think it to there was our, somebody who to had Bazinga, a flash on the directoring side like not that fears isn't great i think he's an incredibly talented director but i think if they had a little hotter director in the movie could have gotten a little more like prestige panache he'd have been mm-hmm. in that conversation but oh, i yeah. think that like i, I think he uh, my guess is that he was right on the outside that if yeah, variety was writing a snubs and flubs article oh, the, yeah. the day the nominations were announced hugh grant would be on that list he was nominated yeah. for a golden globe as was simon helbert oh nice Good. I'm glad that Halberg got that Golden Globe now. Yeah. He's got a real future ahead of him. Like, he's one of those guys who I feel like, of all the, the Big Bang guys, I feel like he's the one who, like, we will look back at in 10 years and go, oh, it's crazy that he did that show before all this other stuff. There's no offense to the rest of the, the theorists, but um, he doesn't seem like a TV actor. Yes, absolutely. Comparably to 100%. the other ones. Not that there's anything wrong with being a no, TV being actor. No, being a TV actor is a great way to make a shitload of money yeah, yeah. I will, I will they say, all did <laughs> i will say uh you know simon helberg only has one movie on wikipedia coming up after florence foster jenkins but it is a leo carax film or correct i, well, I oh, think is, it, is, is he in the upcoming the annette yes it's like adam, oh, he is. it's adam driver marion cotillard and then simon helberg Dude, playing a character. he's gonna crush that uh, it's Call- a it, it's a musical it's a straight Helberg's up full scale f- musical too. Well, he and he played his piano for this, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Helberg is going to pull a Pattinson, where it's like comes from a derided thing. He's a punchline to everything, just because of this thing he's attached to, and he's going to continue to join the thing of like successful people from pop culture things saving indie film. Simon, um, if you're listening, we just gave you a shit ton of praise. Come, come on to the, the show. show. Yeah. Come on the show. That's what we're getting at. You knew that was coming. We're Helberg and, heads. He's a nice uh, guy. T- Continued invites are out to other people we've invited. We've invited Joe Dante every episode. Joe, what are you doing? To come on come the show. On. Uh, we want to see. You heard how much we tangent it. You can talk about Looney Tunes all you goddamn yeah. want. We got to get Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser yeah. on the show. Walter we got to get him. We, can do that. we need you. We need you. We Should love I watch ya. Richard Jewell? I want yes. to, and I'm afraid. It's good. It's slaps. Slaps. Okay. slaps. <laughs> I, slaps. I, it, it's the Academy it's... approval. If it's gonna mule me, I'm gonna be mad at it. But oh, like I, his, we, well, his I'm, head, a mule, I'm a mule head too. Uh and and so like because I, I tend to tend to be a little like 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 I, I am fascinated by Clint Eastwood's Twilight films he's doing and, and and Richard Jewell seems fascinating, but I was worried that if I went to it publicly I would be arrested. <laughs> and so now that it's I can view it in my yeah. home privately. Yeah, every, people are catching up on it and it, it rules. It's it's definitely part of the four 
late period kind of docudrama true stories, but that are kind of skewed into whatever Clint Eastwood feels like saying about them. Yeah. Along with uh, American Sniper, Sully, the 1517 to Paris and Richard Jewell. Which I also Jewell. haven't seen. And maybe I'll just do a double feature of them one day and then just uh, smoke cigarettes forever afterwards. I mean, if you want yeah. to see, if you want to see a man soulfully cry while eating a donut. Always. Like this is, oh man. I can look in a mirror. But they are, uh, <laughs> Clint rules. We we were big Bridges of Madison County fans on the show, uh, as everyone knows. Yeah, Clint, get on the podcast. Yeah, I if you want to go, come on a show. My Tooch Award, which was originally going to go to Hugh Grant, I got a shift, and it's got to go to Skarsgård. Oh, yeah. Here's, and let me explain my feeling on it. Because, so like, good. Hugh Grant is undeniably excellent, as is Helberg. Like, so they're both, like, credit is going to go where credit is due. They are both spectacular in a movie that is really showcasing them. Sarsgaard in that movie I don't want to like the movie and every time he's on screen as is true in everything he's in I just mostly sit around going I fucking love this guy <laughs> like and and he in like of all the actors in this he makes the least sense to be in goddamn Mamma Mia. Like Pierce Brosnan, sure. What else was he doing besides being a handsome older man? And like Colin Firth can only make so many sad movies I like a lot a year. Like eventually you got to make oh, he, He's letting his freak flag fly in this movie in a big, big way too. Like he, you're right. He was like, tied up. As somebody whose favorite time. performance for him is a single man by a wide margin. It was a lot of fun to watch. Like, like this and the Kingsmen are just like, Firth, you might be a real fun guy as it turns out and like then you you get to to like that he's one of the the hot guys she banged and he's just this kind and he's him and yet you also 100 get it and it's not just his vibe but like the character he builds in that movie you're like oh no i could see like being drunk on rum on rum on a boat and just fucking the shit out of this guy like i get where she's coming from this makes perfect sense like Oh man, just give me a movie with those three dads going on adventures. Are you like, kidding me? That should be a whole, that's the sequel to the trip movies. That's in yeah. the trip averse. <laughs> just dad quest, yeah. That's like, the American trip movies. You're here to hear first, folks. Mama Mia. And they go to it's Fort a, it's Lauderdale. A vibe. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a vibe, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, Mama oh, they Mia. Meet it's alien a lifestyle. From Spring Breakers. Like, like I let's write this movie. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, dude, it gets like Spring Breakers too, where it gets really gr- like they yeah. take it too far. It's like the episode of Sunny in Philadelphia where they go to New Jersey. Oh, the best. Yeah, it just gets weirder Digging and weirder. Their own graves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a nude Stellan Skarsgård. They come back camp. to Grace at the Look. end, and it's Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan, and Meryl Streep's like, "What happened to Phil?" And then they just go. <laughs> if you can it. give me a movie <laughs> where Stellan Skarsgård is just smoking crack naked. And that's just the trailer. I'm like, cool, whatever. Can I buy tickets in advance? Can I rent oh. a whole theater? Like, how do we do this? I think we just came back. We got a call back here to your Lars von Trier. Exactly. Skarsgård dong out movie. It's just Mamma Mia 3. This turns out it's one of my favorite genres. It's just Lars von Trier, Skarsgård dong out movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you bet your ass it's uncircumcised. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Uh, I think it's so European it has its own soccer team. <laughs> 
Yeah, it has uh, hooligans. It has yeah. like a roving, <laughs> a bunch of British skinheads that follow his dick around. <laughs> They're all boys. It, it, it still says things. It still says things like, "Oh, so I see you prefer American football." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a sardonic John Cleese. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm just gonna give it to Hugh Grant because we got. Yeah. We got someone has to give him love. And... Well, you got to give him somebody who wasn't an Infomaniac an award. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, hey, put Simon, Simon Helberg was in Infomaniac. He's been <laughs> fucking great in that movie. Are you kidding oh, me? Man. He was the actual dicks. Oh, that'd be even cooler. They just CGI yeah. his dick on all. He just sat on a stage <laughs> yeah. with a he bunch played. of those colored balls glued to his yeah. dick. He played a stunt dick. <laughs> it's like the He's the they... Andy Circus of CGI dicks. Yeah, it's like the way they filmed Mortal Kombat. Like, <laughs> all right, we should, we should, we should rate movies. Are we fun. should rate these. Yeah. yeah. See what see what these two movies have inspired. Oh yeah, oh, uh, Patrick hit us. Okay, I, Mamma Mia, I like. I think I'm the probably the one that like likes it. Like I, it's like I'm in it. I'm in the glow of Mamma Mia. I have don't a feel good, shame. I, yeah, I don't feel sure. I have a good time when I watch it. It's it's silly. It's uh, it's chaos. It's one of those things too, where like I said, when I watched it initially, I was like, uh, I don't think it's gonna have the same like like craziness that it had in the first. Like I think the craziness is worn off. It's not gonna work. But then like there are just fucking insane dance scenes and like all the weird side characters, like Stavros over here, like a guy who looks like if like a, a piece of hero meat was granted sentience. Like, just like, uh, it's so it's so good. Uh, and Meryl Streep is great in it too. She's so nice and she is, but like, I think like the thing, the one problem with the uh, Streep's performance in that movie, and it's not her fault. It's just that like, she is such a giving a- actor. And uh, as a result, everyone does like the craziest stuff in that movie. And she kind of like, doesn't get to, she just needs, uh, you just, you wish she had like one more crazy performance. Like you wish she had like a Julie Waters chasing Stellan Sarsgaard, uh, Christian, Christine Baranski hanging her out with Pepper, even like an Amanda Seyfried, uh, you know, dancing with the scuba people. Like you wish it, yeah. she had like, just like a, a balls to the wall madness moment. And uh, you don't quite get that, unfortunately, I think. And then, uh, but with Florence Foster Jenkins, like, mm, like, it's kind of like, I would say Florence Foster Jenkins with the exception of uh, Iron Lady. Although, I don't know. Uh, when I watch Iron Lady again, maybe I'll be, uh, maybe I'll be different. I'll think differently. But like, it is kind of like for me, like Florence Foster Jenkins is almost like the culmination of like, of this era of Streep. Like that's like her using all of her tools in this current, in her current toolbox where it's like she takes bits of Julie and Julia. She takes bits of Death Becomes, or not Death Becomes, or uh, Devil Wears Prada. It is kind of like her just using every one of her skills and doing them in a way that doesn't feel forced or robotic as she has been, you know, insulted as before. So I, I'm going to give it to uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, which I didn't, I never thought I'd see it come this far. Like if you told me that Florence Foster Jenkins would be in like the semifinals, like when I first started this podcast, I would have called you a fool. <laughs> Although we don't know yet. We'll see. We'll see. Um. One for Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay. I, Mamma Mia, I think it's it's on the record in the previous episode. I was not particularly thrilled by the first time through. I actually did vote for Into the Woods in the first round. Um, I realize now 
looking back on it, I like Mamma Mia way more than Into the Woods. I think Mamma Mia is wild. It's fun. But I also think Patrick brings up a really good point that Meryl Streep kind of has to be the foundation of the movie. And as such, just a moment here, as such, she doesn't get to do like the craziest stuff. Not that she necessarily needs to. I think she also is the emotional foundation of the movie. Hers and Pierce Brosnan's relationship turns out to actually be the romance of the movie. Like the the speed for which Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper's decide not to get married is startling. Almost. <laughs> um, and I think and I think it's it's a it's a really fun time. Like I, you know, I think I was telling Patrick before it was a bad fever dream. Now it's a really great, fun fever dream of a movie. Um, Florence Foster Jenkins also grew on me in second viewing, and I think kind of revealed a, so much. It continued both times to show so much more depth than I ever would have expected, and that also includes Meryl Streep's performance, which I admit, like. When this movie came out, before we became real street heads, I thought that this was kind of a, oh, she does this every year. She's going to get an Academy Award nomination. She's playing an interesting woman, but this movie's going to be kind of bland, frankly. You know, and unfortunately, and something we've talked about before with a lot of act, uh, in the best actors category, you get a lot of good performances in bland movies. Yes. They don't get the... The, the, the flashier movies don't end up in that way. You get things like, I don't know, Blindside, for instance. Yeah. Um, the Reader. The top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and no, no diss to those necessarily, but they are just not as like, you know, we just spent an entire podcast talking about, you know, action movies and all the stuff we watched as little boys, which we clearly um, continue to think are the funnest things. And that's why I think like Forrest Foster Jenkins was in a rush even as an adult. But there's a lot of actual like magic to this movie that is a real surprise. It's surrounded by great performances. There's no like, I think that a lot of Mamma Mia is like the camp value, the silliness, the performances. I don't know if you would call them great. You'd certainly call them enthusiastic. And they're both enthusiastic, but they're also great and sincere in Florence Foster Jenkins. And that starts with Meryl Streep's performance, which I think has a lot of nuance and depth that for as much fun as she's having, as much life as she's living and as great a vacation as she's having in Mamma Mia, tops Mamma Mia. So my vote is for Florence Foster Jenkins. I am also surprised that I came into this thinking Mamma Mia was going to win. Uh, Kyle, go ahead. Oh man, this is, this is wild. So I I am glad that this show gave me the opportunity to watch two movies that I would 125% never have watched of my own volition ever. Uh, I probably would have seen Mamma Mia at some point with my girlfriend, but in, in a way where, where it would have been a different context because I probably wouldn't have the same level of like kind of critical eye that I have coming into a show like this. And I'm glad I watched it because I feel like I have a better idea of what it actually is versus my preconceived notions. And it was not super far off, but I definitely 
was able to appreciate that the camp is aware which I think is the real saving grace of Mamma Mia as a movie. Now, granted, I am a terrible person to pull from, uh, that thought process from, because I am someone who does not enjoy the music of ABBA, <laughs> uh, nor am crazy about musicals. I feel like I always talk about how much I don't like musicals, but have such strong opinions on them. <laughs> um, but I think that it is uh, a profoundly fun film, and it is maybe one of, like, like kind of a perfect hbo movie if if you know what i mean where you watch 45 minutes of it while you're waiting to go to wherever and i think that it it definitely like feels very much like of a type of canon that is a fun very like american cinematic thing and i think that that it has validity in the context of like what it's trying to do and i think it succeeds at what it's trying to do but what it's trying to do is is not does not have a ton of ambition to it, nor does it need to. I think the the interesting thing with that hitting Florence Foster Jenkins is like, again, walking the movie with a ton of baggage for it, both subject matter wise, public reaction to it on, on the whole at the time. And the fact that it sort of like then disappeared out of my brain. And I even forgot that I also had to watch that one. And so I was like, I was so panicked about fucking watching Mamma Mia that I was like, Oh, that's right. I've got another movie to watch after this and thought it was going to be homework and really was surprised how much I was engrossed, how, uh, you know, Mamma Mia. I, I, again, I don't like this movie, but I have plenty to good to say about it. And Florence Foster Jenkins, I probably went in with less animosity, but a great deal more apathy. And so I think that in some ways it kind of like caught me off guard because I was expecting it to be kind of a nothing and to just riff on on how much I did not enjoy Mamma Mia. And instead, like was kind of delightfully surprised that instead I got this very you know, warm, kind of gentle movie that is saying way, way more than it appears to it is the the one of the most satisfying like still waters run deep movie i've seen in quite some time and i am a real sucker for a very human character piece that is willing to let its humanity flow without it being insecure enough to need plot points and cat saving to like make it it, it is a movie that trusts its audience and nothing about it feels like a movie that should trust its audience <laughs> at all and i think the combination of like Frears is very clearly a confident director who has that great, like, look, I've just made a lot of stately drawing room dramas in my life. Like, and so I'm going to take what people think I'm going to do and I'm going to subvert it into this weird story about outsider art. And I think that that is a really inspired triumph that I think should be celebrated. And so I am personally very happy to see Florence Foster Jenkins go this far in the competition because I, I imagine like you guys, as you've worked through this, have really watched some of the things that I'm most emotionally invested with be eviscerated and destroyed and left for dead on fire in, in gutters. <laughs> and uh, I love the, like, the kind of like emotional investment I have now in just like loving to see where this movie goes as the thing goes on. Cause it's a, like, I love anytime the story is like, we shouldn't have gotten this far and here we are. So let's see where we go. And I think that genuinely, the reason I asked that question before is like, I think of all the things standing by, I weirdly think that if something could even possibly pick up a sword and go to battle with the juggernaut, that is the devil wears Prada. <laughs> 
I think that like as as much as Sophie's got to make choices, I I think that that exists in such a paradigm she's expected for that I think that the most profoundly interesting thing in what you guys are doing with the show is really showing that like when you remove general sentiment from the considerations of art and instead explore things on their own merits as they exist and they come along, you get some real crazy shit that pops up. Like, you know, it, it's sort of like when I did my decades list last year and I'm putting my shit together and there's so many movies I adored. And I kept looking at this going like, how is Lady Bird constantly the number one in every configuration? <laughs> and I, and, and never in a million years would I have thought that that's the way that would have gone. And by the end of putting that together, I was like, there's a, no version of this list where that doesn't take this number one spot. And I think that like, similar to, I, I love being delightfully surprised by things like that. And I think like that's been, that's now a fun thing. I, I feel like the, the, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins is now like my sports team where I'm just like, I want this thing to go all the way. Like, and I think it's got a shot. My brother is a big Clippers fan. So I understand the concept of hopeful fear. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I think that it's going to be very fun to watch you guys move on to, to the semifinals with this. Cause I think there's some incredibly strong stuff, but I think the most interesting thing to me is that there is this crazy wild card that should have been killed immediately. <laughs> and instead is just, 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 covered in blood holding the sword going bring it fuckers like like i i fear no god and i fear no death <laughs> singing wildly off key yes. i believe that was the uh tagline on the poster yes, i fear no god fun. i fear no death <laughs> <laughs> under simon helbert's working like yeah. <laughs> looking at you guys from the piano going she doesn't sing very well yeah. it turns me. out that uh Werner Herzog directed yeah. the film. <laughs> I, I just hope that that any anybody who's who well, you bring onto the show who is going to work hard for Devil Wears Prada understands at this point the gauntlet has thrown down. Florence fears no god and fears no death. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That smells like a t-shirt. That smells <laughs> imagine like if somebody a said that to you. That's the scariest thing you could hear from someone who says, who then says, "I'm coming for you." And clicks like there's like, well, I'm not afraid of Liam Neeson anymore. <laughs> Wow, uh, I uh, so it's clear this is the true Cinderella story. Oh, FFJ of, all the way of the tournament. Oh yeah, it, it's facing down the winner of Kramer versus Kramer and the Iron Lady in oh, the next man. round. You know what? And then it could, if it got past there, it has to play either Sophie's Choice or the Devil Wears Prada for the championship. What is I, Las it, Vegas it can say? Beat Kramer versus Kramer, one hundred percent. Like, yeah. like, I love that it's true. This has truly become sportsman. I cannot tell you how happy this is all making me. Don's gonna get too many texts. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that that the the you know, I think Iron Lady's a harder one to shake. That's a fun fight because those are two things that that are are ready to to go down to the death. So mm -hmm. that'll be whereas like Kramer versus Kramer, I think walks in with championship confidence. <laughs> but she won. She won. Well, she won for both. She won for Iron Lady as well. These are both all three of her Academy Award winning performances are still in the tournament. And I just so. want to see FFJ just like take them all down. Just just knock over every kingdom. He's going to be a FFJ hive. Kyle is the president. Hard, hard. Come at me. Kyle Clark is rad. Come at me. Let's, let's start right. FFJ Hive. <laughs> FFJ all the way. Hashtag. FFJ. That was, okay, that was Mamma Mia versus Florence Foster Jenkins. A uh, like every matchup in this round, a spirited, oh, man. spirited conversation. Yeah. Um, oh, we're, we're now going to move into the game, and I told the guys before we started we are going to play one game, but 
something else has crossed my mind oh, over no. the course of this episode. So I'm going to wild card you guys. I, both you guys, you're being a literal FFJ. Yeah, I, it's a it's a Florence Foster Jenkins. If there ever was one, you know, I fear Literally no god. I fear person. no god and fear no death. <laughs> um, we discussed Stephen King. Yes. Earlier in the show, and something crossed my mind: Meryl Streep has never been in a Stephen King adaptation. You're the head of a major studio that has just gained the rights or remake rights to every single oh, man. Stephen King property. And Meryl Streep's on the phone. She's like, hello, I've never been in a Stephen King movie. She calls up like Julia Child, oddly enough. I love it. That's, that's classic Meryl. Um, so Meryl wants to get spooky. What book do you send Meryl's way and say, we're, we're making this one? Ooh, okay, this is going to take some contemplating here because there's there's – there's some interesting directions you can take this with. Because it's got to be current Meryl, too. Yeah. I think we could play around if we wanted to make some adjustments to the novel. If we wanted to change ages. Okay, because there is a version that, uh, that, like, this might not be my vote. I'm just floating this out there. There is a, an interpretation that has never been made when she is in her prime for this role, where she is an incredible Wendy Torrance, if you've read the book version of The Shining. Mm. Because like the movie version of Shining and the book version of Shining are two intellectual properties with lightly similar plots, uh, and that is all, and similar they're titles. Both, they're both called The Shining. Yeah, but like Wendy Torrance, one of the things that bums me out about the Stanley Kubrick movie, which I like, but has never been one of my go-tos, and, and one of them is like, they really do Wendy Torrance dirty. Like, cause she is such a great character in that book who is so thoroughly kind of like the strength and backbone of that book. Cause you remove her and it's just a disturbed child and a shitty drunk being dicks. Uh, and she is the person being haunted by everything. And I think like, if you put like Sophie's choice era, Meryl Streep into a mm. version of the shining that is actually following the book plot and you put, I'm, I, let me just throw this out there. Uh, and, and I'm stalling because I'm dead. De okay, here we go. It's Meryl Streep is Wendy Torrance and fucking Dennis Hopper as Jack Torrance in the er, in like the mid 80s that's a fucking like like right before blue velvet like that or right after somewhere in that like that era Dennis Hopper and that era Meryl Streep as Wendy and Jack Torrance to me is like a, a thing that we will never get because we weren't a good enough species to deserve it yeah. <laughs> i like it i like it that is like, yeah, I'm trying to rack my brain around what, uh, God, for some reason, uh, my brain is stuck on the movie Cell, which I don't want her to star in at all. Who would she be, too? That'd be tough. She can be the teen girl. No, I guess, I don't know, like you gender swap John Cusack's character. I don't know. Good marriage would be not a bad one, too. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it's, it's hard. I'm trying to think of like, uh, uh, Cause I'm, can I do a Michael Crichton? Because I'm more of a Crichton fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. I think she'd be uh, a younger, like a, a 90s, except Prey came out in 2003. But in this yeah. scenario... We're playing like, with time here. Yeah, she would be a great Nadine. I think her name is Nadine. Oh, God. Or Julia. It's Julia. She'd from, be a from great Prey? Julia. Yeah, from Prey. Like the, the lady who gets turned into a, a Prey... As a, 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 a flesh nanomachine. Uh, what an insane movie. Here's uh, the deal. We need a Prey movie just for that first kill scene in the desert when the fucking things explode that guy. 
Like yeah. I think about that constantly. The first time the nanomachines kill somebody, it is one of the gnarlier deaths I've read in a book. And like, I just want to see that in a movie. Oh God, it's so like, and then on top of that too, like uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum, that's a perfect Goldblum as the guy. And- Dude, Streep and Goldblum in in Prey is is inspired. That is transcendent. I would watch uh, the fuck out of that. And that would yeah. just kick the shit out of Sphere. sphere. Oh, hell yeah. Makes she, she called up on the phone, actually, just a second ago, and she said, Hello! I would also like to do Michael Crichton films! <laughs> so, you're all good there, Patrick. I would love Give me some hard, hardish sci-fi! <laughs> but not too hard! I just need it to sound pl- feasible when you're smoking a joint and reading it late at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, my take is pretty straightforward. It's a typical uh, gender swap one i'd like to see her play johnny smith in the dead zone oh shit oh and at her current age would be even better like she's been in the coma like yeah de-aging yeah i think it would be very very interesting and i think she'd play it with warmth no diss to my man chris walken who i think perfected it but um, can we talk about the dead zone for five seconds yeah so i i am actively in love with david cronenberg i would kiss him on his beautiful fucking face oh yeah uh uh, and one of the things I love is that only David Cronenberg can read the dead zone, a story where literally the character is Johnny and just supposed to be an everyday American school teacher and go, who's the most naturalistic dude we can put into a situation he's over his head on who just feels like a John Everyman. Oh, Christopher Walken. Perfect. Real, real American guy. Like, like, he, like that is David Cronenberg's vision of like a button down regular American guy is Christopher Walken. Yeah, Max Shrek. Like- <laughs> he also casts Martin Sheen, who is the real regular American guy. As, ha- this, as the Donald Trump character, basically. Yeah, it's, it is, man. It's, uh, I imagine Stephen King is just every day going like, man, it's fucking wild when I predict the future. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dead Zone slaps. I, I don't want to, so I good. don't, yeah. It's, it's it, you really, know what's really funny about good. the Dead Zone too is like, if you know someone in your life who loves CSI, there is most of that movie is the best episode of CSI ever made because he has that whole has to stop a serial killer that is the yeah, middle the mid, of the movie. The mid, the mid segment with Tom Skerritt. Yeah, like that. That is all. If you know somebody who loves crime shows, you can sell them on a Cronenberg movie because that is that is straight up a CBS TV show until it's time to kill the president. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a, a CSI until it became becomes extraordinarily prescient. Oh man, what a great movie and book. The ice is gonna break. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a regular guy. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and I, I kept that uncomfortable hunk of metal in my ass for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was favorite, in the coma, it was in my, my ass. My favorite story man's Bruce Wayne. What are you doing dressed as Batman? For? One of the great moments ever <laughs> in a movie. I watched Batman Returns as part of my Christmas vlog this year, and that movie slaps super hard. Yeah. it's it, uh, Speaking of another one, like. Like our beloved death becomes or just weird nineties. You gotta do walking on this. Even though King of New York will win, you gotta do walking on this. Yeah, King of New York will win though. You're right. It's pretty pretty telling. But, but here's the deal. What Love happens money. when it turns but to watch a championship where potentially it could be the King of New York versus Prophecy Two. <laughs> <laughs> I still I still wanna do an Eric Roberts one where it's just all his insane oh. like <laughs> One bracket has Papa Greenwich Village and three other weird movies. Another one has Runaway Train and three other weird movies. Another one has Star 80, 
three other weird movies and then the other one's probably inherent vice and like three other weird movies. don't forget batman's in there yeah yeah, yeah we got dark a batman. knight's in there dark knight yeah i'm not look. paying you to talk i'm an eric roberts character <laughs> oh. there's uh there's one bracket that's just like uh frank d'angelo films like that insane <laughs> canadian person who like i think he like owns like an energy drink company in san and in, in canada and he uses his energy energy drink money to fund like insane films that he like writes and directs that are that, that but then he'll get like peter coyote and robert logia 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 and paul sorvino and it's just like all these like the sweatiest you're describing my perfect movie if we can get wyatt russell in this also somehow if we can get ray liotta and wyatt russell in we're really into my kind of party okay there's no there's love, no, there's oh, no ray liotta has been killing it the last couple of years between marriage no. story and hubie halloween oh, just killing it i'm just gonna really quickly enchantix commercials never forget to really quickly just before we move on i have to just go down this frank d'angelo no deposit cast list so frank d'angelo is the star number one michael oh, per- Pere, peter coyote robert loja paul servino doris roberts michael madsen daniel baldwin eric roberts margot kidder and art kindle so this oh. movie has its own neck beard yeah. <laughs> yeah, the DVD comes with little hairs. You yeah, shave. like <laughs> Art Hindle, Star of the Brood and Black Christmas, the, the, the Blu-ray, and Kathy's the, Curse. The uh, the Shout Factory DVD or Blu-ray you buy comes with a broken relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Dominic and Dominic Swain. There we go. God damn! To, to tell your girlfriend like we got to watch this tonight. Really? <laughs> yes, we have to watch this tonight. <laughs> we might we might have to do, we might have to do a Frank D'Angelo bracket. That might be our next season. <laughs> The first time ever, your girlfriend's like, I guess we could watch The Irishman again instead. Uh, <laughs> is, we found the only movie that someone would want to watch, uh, that a woman would want to watch less than The Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just going to put that Wikipedia if you guys ever want to. Oh, I'm if, clicking it literally right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I think we should. On that Not even note. the poster's shitty. Like, I love this. It's insane. Also, wait, you failed to mention that it is directed by Frank D'Angelo, written by Frank D'Angelo, yeah. starring Frank D'Angelo, and music by Frank D'Angelo. Oh man, that those are the best guys. Those Edited are the best by guys. six people. <laughs> who, who I bet are, he was difficult yelled, to work who with. Were yelled at by Frank D'Angelo. <laughs> I wish they put the date each one quit on on the Wikipedia. This one went to the Toronto Film School. This one was also a student at the Toronto Film School. This was just a guy I met in an alley at Telluride. Yeah, claim, claimed he edited. He didn't. Uh, well, I was but, wondering uh, if he was going to have a DP credit like Danzig gave himself on Veronica. Oh, yeah. Another very similar project. Um, wow. Boy, that was a journey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kyle, thank you so much for thank you for having me coming on the show. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, this? sure. Uh, so I've got my podcast, This Is Rad, where people come on and talk about things they enjoy. Uh, it's a fun one. If you like, if you like riffs and and we man, we have talked about just about everything under the sun. Uh, we just did an episode about graphic design today uh, uh, that'll be out this week. But also, like we we've done everything from up to and including uh, we had a guest come on and talk about the writings of uh, Ted Kaczynski. Nice, uh, excellent. Where, where uh, we point out we are not a supporter of what he's done, but some of the th- points he's made seem valid in in the context of the writing. Uh, and, 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 you know, but it's, it's about positivity, but also being silly. Cause I feel like for a while, every podcast was about how everything's dumb. And as somebody who makes things, you sometimes want to go like, Hey, 
Uh, let's talk about some wins too. Uh, I also have a show called Everything Is Scary. It is with uh, uh, Don's wife Jen, uh, one of my my dearest friends on planet Earth, and we talk about scary movies. Right now, since we're in quarantine, it's become a movie book club where we trade off back and forth, picking movies to watch, and we have watched some shit, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, that's a fun one to go through. Uh, you also get to uh, listen to a whole series of episodes where I am having to pretend that Jen is not pregnant during the show. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it's real fun because you know what's really hard when you're trying to cover up somebody's pregnancy is also remove from the uh, table the ability to use the term they're not feeling well because we're in a time where if you say you're not feeling well, it's a death sentence. Yep. So uh, that was fun. And then I also uh, I have a, a couple of albums out. Uh, my most recent one was called Absolute Terror. It was recorded in Atlanta a few years ago. I'm very, very proud of how it turned out. Uh, if you like very fun dark stories about crazy family members i'm your jam you get a story about my aunt uh drinking and smoking through a pregnancy and it is a delight and she was in the audience at the show when i did it <laughs> uh so it's a party uh, it's on my record label radland records where we put out uh i i'm a big fan of the comedy scene and uh, i feel like the the industry ignores a lot of really talented and interesting voices so i decided to take the very little money i had and start investing it in people i think are talented and should have albums out so uh, it's a thing I'm real proud of. Uh, you can follow me at Kyle Clark is rad on Twitter at this is rad pod and at Radland records are some of my things. And just one more because I cannot stop working because uh, if I start working, I stop working. I have to think about my life. Uh, oh. I, I uh, have a comic book coming out this year called tales from an analog future. Uh, we just announced recently it's set in a future that is also the seventies. And it's sort of what if uh, parks and rec existed inside of 2000 AD. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and that'll be out uh, at some point, probably in, in March, late February, early March, and it'll be quarterly for the year. And uh, I work with a great name named Sean Otwell out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And that is that is our COVID baby. Uh, I had never even thought about writing a comic book in any seriousness uh, prior to being locked down this year. And now we have a book coming out. So that's uh, I'm really proud of that. So there's way too much bullshit where you can go see me do because otherwise I have to feel. And you guys thought I was joking about the impresario. Yeah, line I'm leaving in stuff his out too because I get self-conscious. <laughs> wow, like so much cool, fun stuff. Both your shows are great. I dropped in as a substitute guest on This Is Rad for a 90s sci-fi episode uh, yes. that I had a blast on that I think runtime-wise is in competition oh, with we, uh, this episode. We get a little long. It's uh, I've been known to be a little long-winded. <laughs> but uh thank you again for coming on this has been thanks for having me this another... is what a great show you guys got here i, oh, I love thank this you show. I'm, I'm a big fan um before we head out though patrick is there any, after another wonderful episode any anyone you'd like to thank oh geez yeah oh gosh i want to thank my uh i want to thank uh my booty call i have to thank that what a, great, yeah. a classic work of art uh i have to thank uh I have to thank uh, Stellan Starsgard's little butt tattoo. Yeah. Little eyes. Like, yeah, that's where you want to be stared from, the hinders. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, yeah, getting, getting a real stink eye there. Uh, and then uh, I want to thank, I want to thank uh, the uh, Cosma, his his post-credits, uh, you know, what, what his life became afterwards, where it says that, like, after... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, he becomes, like, a bodybuilder. And Jesus Christ, I want to see that movie. I want well, to see a sequel. With Simon it says he Elbert. took an interest in bodybuilding and judged competitions until he died in 1980. I committed it to memory because that's insane. <laughs> it was. That's like, I want that Simon Helberg movie. I want Simon Helberg to get buff as shit. 
I want him to be like that picture of Kumail Nanjiani where it looks like he's about to explode. (laughs) Oh, photos of Kumail Nanjiani at this point. (laughs) Yeah, which is like, oh man, what a beautiful craziness. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, and so, uh, hey, uh, Simon, uh, probable Simon Helberg films that I want. It's past your bedtime. Uh, A Simon Helberg film I'm dreaming of, too late. Go to bed. Uh, Kiss, kiss. I love it. Way, way past your bedtime. I I need to thank the pros pro Ian McKellen just for the work he continued to do and yeah. continued to do. Yeah, there it was. He just dropped in. I, you know what? I got to thank both the guy and the song Pepper. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, thank you both. Like Also that, that shitty reggae band Pepper as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yes. Pepper and Inspiration. Oh, my they God. still want to have dirty hot sex with us, all of I, us. I, man. Evil 311. My brain just like you, 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 uh, you transported my spirit and soul to that weird music video website that was at popular before YouTube. <laughs> I, I think it's iFilm. Like, I yes, think, I believe like, so. Yeah, like I was like, oh, I'm, I'm watching at the drive in. <laughs> Look, one arm scissor got a video and it didn't get a lot of rotation. We got to get it on the back end. If it happens to be that my playlist is just at the drive-in and that I kissed a girl video over and over again, that's none of your business. Yeah, come on. Um, I got to give a big shout out to $20 or less ABBA tribute band tickets. I think uh, <laughs> those are, you know, we don't go any higher. We'll just put yeah. it that way. Yes. Um, and finally, I got to thank my VHS copy of Ninja Scroll. Yeah. Like okay. just... It's a legend. It's, it's, we've been I, through a lot. I don't like anime, but I like that, folks. <laughs> and on that note, for our guest, Kyle Clark, for my co-host, Patrick, for everyone who's ever been involved with the Academy Academy, all the Academy Academy members and Academy Academy dreamers out there, thank you. We'll see you next time on the Academy Academy. Yeah. Back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the billboy come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight And I've packed my bags And i paid my bills and I'm turning in my key And if those sad souls down in the lobby Ask for me Just tell them I'm checking out This heartbreak hotel I ain't gonna live on Lonely Street no more, no more. I found a new love and a new place to dwell where teardrops ain't so pure.